Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Everybody, it's Wednesday, October 30th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Huzzah! Mr. Bob Ryer. Yow! And returning, Miss Stephanie Cook. Happy early Halloween! It is. It's October 30th. It's Halloween's Eve. Eve. Um, we were much better off this year than we were this time last year because there was a hurricane last year this time so we got through that um so we're actually doing a podcast um spoilers you survived yeah we survived uh halloween is upon us and today we're going to be hearing a little bit from bob about the history of ec comics we'll talk a little about horror in general um we've got a lot of news to get through um we have an interview that I'm going to put in uh, that I did with Adewale Akanoe Akwaje. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise known as Mr. Echo from Lost. He is um, playing Curse in Thor 2, one of the big villains in, in that film. Um, so you hear him talk a little about Thor and some about um, him being an Annie coming up. <laughs> uh, so you, I the like song? the songs. I asked him if, whether he sang, and you'll have to hear okay. that answer in the interview, Bob. I'm not going to give it okay. away now. Um, so that'll probably be in between the, t- the two uh, normal segments there. Um, and, of course, we'll do our books of the week. Uh, but um, before we get to that, um, we have a couple of video games to talk about today. But I wanted to tell you something, Steve, Yo. that I had said on um, Comics and Coffee this past week that I was going to try to play Dark Souls. Um, mm-hmm. And I spent all day Friday doing just that. And I was having a I, I I I had borrowed it from you like two years ago for like our game of the year discussion. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do this. I just can't deal with it. Um. So when I started playing, I started up from that save that I had had, and there was definitely a reacclimation period to what I needed to do. But I've been watching streams of it, so I kind of mm-hmm. was had learned from from watching. Um. You know, and I got my bearings, and I kept going to that first boss, that Taurus demon boss, and just getting my ass handed to me. You know, yep. Um, and and I was, I got frustrated. And I stopped playing. Uh, that was a couple of days before Friday, and then on Friday I picked it back up again. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna do this. Um, and for the first time ever in playing the game, I grinded like I grinded out souls. Like I just spent time. That's like you gotta do, man. Yeah, I spent time. Getting rid of people, getting souls, going back to the bonfire, leveling up, leveling up. So yep. instead of going to face the boss at level four, I was like level fifteen or sixteen by the time I got to the to the boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, still took a couple of times, um, but uh, I did end up beating him uh, pretty handily at one point. It's, as soon as I kind of had my bearings about me, and 
it was, and I said this on the Man Cave podcast last night, actually. I said, I said, it was the single most satisfying moment in the history of me playing video games. Did wow. I not tell you yeah. that, that? I mean, the thing about those games is, and, and they, um, a lot of these other games, they call them roguelikes, mm-hmm. where yeah. you only have, you know, one life or, mm-hmm. you know, low energy, whatever. Um, every victory, doesn't matter how small, feels really good. Yeah. And, Demon Souls and Dark Souls and Dark Souls Two comes out in March. Yeah, um, that game is chock full of that because you bust your ass. Yeah, whether it's researching, grinding, or just going down the same damn path over mm. and over again and telegraphing th- things, moves. It gets to the point where you've done it so many times that you just like you glide through it, mm-hmm. and before you know it, you're a god walking yeah. around. It's amazing. Yeah, and there, there's these. Um, it's funny because there, being the boss was definitely like a, a big moment. I was like, okay, I, I think I'm in now. But there was, it was after the boss. There was some moment where there was like a switch that flipped in my head, and it turned from being. It's still very stressful. It's still mm-hmm. a very stressful game to play at all times. But because the game is so is so obtuse with how it teaches you how to, it doesn't teach you how to play it. It just yep. sits you in and then you go. So it takes time for you to learn how to play it. So that moment where you get that switch flip. And for me, it was probably like three or four hours in the game where all of a sudden I was enjoying the the stress that I was going for. And I was telling Karen, my girlfriend about it. And she said, so basically what you're saying is now you have Stockholm syndrome with the game. <laughs> and I said, that's not a bad way to put it. Uh, but you know, there, there are these kind of, it's funny because the moments that you, you hate, are also the moments that you love. Like you walk down, you, you know, there's like multiple paths. You walk down the one path and you get to an enemy that there is no way you can beat them at your, your current <laughs> state. And this giant thing comes running at you and you just have to run. Or you either have to stand there and die or try to run out of its, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's like ag- aggro zone. Um, and those moments are really stressful, but really kind of fun. And then you get these moments where you run out of its aggro zone or you think you did, but then you trip somebody else's. So all of a sudden you have like four enemies surrounding yeah. you Ooh. and you just gotta, you just gotta die and I, you start over again. <laughs> I just um it's it's one of those things where even you can't it's not a hack and slash. You mm, can't just no. arbitrarily go around every encounter that you have matters. Every encounter can kill you. Yeah. Um and like even it's I used to say even the rats. Yeah. Cuz that's the, the the one thing you always fight in the beginning of every, you know, hack and slash game. They put you up against the wussiest thing yeah. in the land. Even those can still kill you at high levels yeah. if you don't move correctly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I love it. I if a video game is too easy, I don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Not that everything has to be like Dark Souls. If yeah. everything was like Dark Souls, I would probably have killed myself by <laughs> yeah. now. But um, you need some Fruit Ninja in between. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I do enjoy. Well, that's why I play Pokemon. Mm-hmm. You know, nice and soothing pocket yeah. monsters and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, I'm really glad that you stuck with it because it's now you know. Yeah, and now I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep playing it. It's funny because it. it it's the the hardest thing about the game is that it goes against like Steve was saying every modern video game tendency that you have which is to take out your sword run into a room and just be the hero you know just like I can take you all out I don't got a block I'm going to do whatever I want like yeah. I got you you can't play the game like that you got to go in I go in shield up <laughs> <laughs> you know and I I and I 
and I, you know, I go very slowly and every doorway, I'm like, there is somebody behind this doorway. I'm going to walk out and they're going to hit me. You know, so I go in and I always like walk into a room and then roll back out of a room. And there's always somebody whose sword that comes down and tries to hit me. But, um, you know, it it becomes a lot of fun because then you feel like you're achieving something which is awesome. And and I definitely hit that moment where I was like, I want to keep playing this and see this through. Awesome. And it quickly made Dark Souls 2 one of my most anticipated games of the year uh, coming up. So Sweet. I want to share that with you because I know that's that game is one of your favorites. So It is. Um, Very cool, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it uh, a lot more. Um, but speaking of video games, um, uh, well, the funny thing is oh, we got our review copies of Lego Marvel, um, which Steve is going to be reviewing, and Batman. But when I, playing, <laughs> when I was playing... Baloney! When I was playing Batman Arkham Origins, and when I was playing uh, Dark Souls, I would play before and after it the Lego game just to like <laughs> cleanse the palate because the Lego game is the exact opposite. You can't die. If you die, you just come back. Oh. Like there's no... Your just, pieces come back together. pieces come back together. There's no, you know, there's no lives. There's no penalty. It's just have a lot of fun and be cute and funny. Um, but we'll talk more about that if Steve's played it so we can have a, a, a dialogue uh, about that. And you could like what we did for Scribblenauts, you can look forward to seeing similar stuff for Batman and for Lego. Um, also, I'm going to be playing it a little bit differently than you are. Um, a friend of mine's coming over tomorrow afternoon oh, nice. and we're going to do the whole thing two player. Awesome. That's great. That, that'll be a cool, that'll be a, a cool difference. And we'll do, we'll make sure as we, I mean, a little different than the Scribblenauts thing because we're not obviously trying to stump the game, but we'll do a little preview for you guys and Steve and I will play and talk about the game as we play it. Um, similar for Batman Arkham Origins, which I know, Stephanie, uh, you have been playing. How much have you played so far? Um, I pretty well dedicated all of Monday uh, afternoon to it and evening. Okay. Um, so I maybe like three hours into it. Okay. All right. Um, Where'd the time go? Yeah. What? <laughs> Where'd the time go? <laughs> I was trying to be good and like, you know, not waste my entire day on it. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I kind of started it up and I was really nervous about it because like I've been hearing like tons of people talk about glitches and how... It doesn't mm. feel like a Rockstar game. Rocksteady. La, 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 la. Pardon? <laughs> Rocksteady. Rock, oh, Rocksteady. Sorry, yeah. I'm mixing up GTA yeah. yes. stuff. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I, I started it up and I'm really digging it so far. Although, like, I don't know why it's Arkham Origins. I mean, it, I don't feel like there's an origin story really being told. Like, it's the only kind of hint that you get that Batman is just starting out is every now and again a criminal is like, I hear he's ten feet tall. <laughs> like, well, it's definitely it's set before he is like. It, it, there's definitely there's more than just that to the fact that it's an origin story. The cops oh, don't know and him. They don't understand, and he hasn't figured out that Edward Nigma is like. The Riddler. Well, because the Riddler they, isn't there. The Riddler hasn't come come out yet. That's. I the, know, but like, still. Well, how could he figure out he was the Riddler if the Riddler hadn't? No, but been I mean, like, that's yet. the only things that really make it origin-y to me is like. Or the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> that's like everything else is just like Arkham City, but like he's he's basically like Arkham City too, but like the prequel, and yeah. he's just running around and punching things. Yep. That's he's doing Batman stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's, I don't know. The story isn't so much like gripping, but like, I like, again, I like punching things and, you know, going around the city. So, yay. I'm um, hoping that when I go back on after the podcast, 
Um, one of the glitches is like corrupt files that aren't, you oh, know, really? they erase Ooh. all your data. Oh, wow. So I'm really praying that like, I haven't encountered any glitches yet. And I feel like being like, you know, by being no glitches, <laughs> I'll totally get the corrupt file one. Yeah, so, probably. So far, so good. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've played, I think, about two, three hours of it so far. And, uh, you know, I enjoy it. And something's right. Game systems-wise, like, you know, uh, battle system and gadgets and all that stuff, It's and even the, the, the look and the landscape of the game is very much, um, you know, Arkham City. I mean, it's, it's the combat you want. You don't want them to change the combat. The Batman combat is why people love those games. Um, and... Uh, so that stuff is, is pretty standard. I feel like um, there are little things that that are not quite as sound as the two previous games. Just like the way he moves in a tight space and some of like the... I feel like I'm doing that weird like rolling leap more than I did in Arkham City. Like when I'm trying to climb up something. Because you know, it's the same button to like. Oh, when you're trying to grab a ladder and all of a sudden you tuck and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm doing that more here because because the camera isn't quite as responsive and, and stuff like that. Um, but those are very it's definitely not minor as things. fluid. No, it's not. And the way he kind of moves through tight spaces, I don't know. It just we kind of saw a little bit of that at the demo. Yeah, it feels a little bit less polished than than the the previous two games yeah you can say that again when it goes out and it has a d- tremendous glitches i was actually inside yeah. of a GameStop earlier today uh, kind of raving and ranting about this mm. i'm getting a little bit tired of big game publishers i understand they have deadlines mm. and they want these games out and they they want to push them through the door but they're pushing these games out unfinished and early mm. and mm. there there's been lately a mentality of Let's get it out the door. Let's get it in people's hands and sell a bunch of shit and we'll patch it in like a week or two. Yeah. It's becoming a growing trend with major like triple A titles. Mm -hmm. It's not good. Yeah. It's like the PC game mentality a little bit with just we'll just patch it once it's out the door. But yeah. um, Yeah. It's a shame that those little things I haven't encountered any real bugs like these are a little like like little lacks of polish. I haven't really... Um, the clipping that we kind of saw in the demo, uh, I haven't seen really very much. Uh, but as far as the story stuff goes, you know, I've been enjoying it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's 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 a little less than the Arkham previous Arkham games. Uh, not to the point where it's bad, just the point where there are things that feel a little bit rushed um, and are a little bit leaps uh, of narrative logic at times. But um, I do like this kind of idea of Batman not being friends with the cops and he doesn't know Gordon yet. And we're dealing with a, a little, a slightly we're dealing with a much bigger Gotham city. It's double the size of the Arkham city map. Uh, and there's more to see and there's more to do. Uh, and we get, you know, the, there are some villains that are already around. Like we, there's, you have a running with the penguin and there's a funny, there's yeah, there's a, <laughs> killer croc battle, which is kind of the first fight that you get into. And there's, a very humorous exchange between you and one of the assassins named the executioner, the electrocutioner, sorry, oh, yeah. uh, which is a, is a good use of kind of the video game battle and the, the expectations. But Stephanie, would you say you're enjoying it so far? Yeah. Um, speaking just quickly of like the killer croc thing, mm. like I feel like he doesn't really, he's not really killer croc anymore. He kind of just looks like the lizard. Yeah. No. Well, like the lizard kind, kind of, of looks like killer croc, I think is the, well, they kind of, cause like, I mean, whatever. Mm. It's fine. He's um, got to have the snout. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
I don't know. I really dig it. I like the different villains that are popping up. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I won't spoil anything, but like there was this one battle yesterday and, um, you know, it's gearing up to be a boss battle and it's like defeat. And then, you know, like I go in and I'm getting ready and I'm like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I not going to get hit? Blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden I just like punch and the guy's like down and I was like, is that a glitch? Was that, is that supposed to have what? 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 <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, so then I had to tweet about it. I'm like, does anyone else have this person die in one hit? Because I feel like that's unnatural. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about, though. Um, that was the same but, thing I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh. But yeah. then somebody said that that was supposed yes. to happen. Yeah. Um, and then the next battle, like the next big battle um, after this one is with like Deathstroke. Oh, cool. And like, that was really cool. Um, it was the first time I think I, in playing it, where I felt really challenged. It took me a couple of playthroughs to get, you know, to mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. Because like a lot of games, they they're kind of divided up in like a boss battle is divided up into like three parts. Like you have mm-hmm. to do this, and then you know it like weakens them, and then you do this, and then it weakens them some more, and then finally like the third time is you know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're reading and some poetry. The old it's the, uh, the Zelda. three stomps on the head yeah. on yeah. Bowser yeah. kind of stuff. And, yeah. um, and, like, sometimes in some games, it's, like, a checkpoint in between each of those times. So you pick up again, like, after the f- each portion of it. Mm-hmm. But with this battle, if you die, you just go back to, like, the beginning of it. So I was kind of like, ah! <laughs> Every time, like, <laughs> I failed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, if you've ever played any of the Arkham games before, like, if you die... The villain who defeats you does like this little spiel at the end of it, like basically like you're not worthy. Yep. <laughs> so like you have like this degrading thing where like Deathstroke's like, well, you were okay until you died, and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Like I like, I just there's some battles you kind of have to think a little bit more because y- it requires different sets of skills i guess mm-hmm. right to kind of get through and i like that i also like just the times when you can kind of mindlessly button mash x i play on xbox yeah and just be like kill 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 why counter <laughs> huh. and then everyone's like magically dead mm-hmm. but or seriously you know. injured because it's a batman game yes sorry <laughs> gravely injured yeah mortally wounded yeah going to the hospital never with... walk again but they're alive <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so <laughs> And again, I don't want to, but, like, there's this one part where Batman drops a guy from, like, this super high building into a Christmas tree, and mm-hmm. it's like, Merry Christmas! And <laughs> I was just like, I feel like Batman wouldn't do that. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> uh, but you hear the guy... survive, it'll be a good Christmas, I guess. Yeah, you hear the guy, I think they knew that, because you hear the guy go, like... Oh, I, I, I'm hurt or whatever. You hear him yelling no, yeah. up. Yeah. He shouts afterwards like he lives. Yeah, like, he's spleen. Like, yeah. I feel like Batman wouldn't risk killing somebody. No, probably not. <laughs> no, Superman on the yeah, other hand. Yeah, yeah, Superman would just do it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, that was a really long explanation to say, I'm digging it so far. Yeah. Uh, I will say one thing. They give you, now they give you like stats after you do your battles, your fights. I tell you how deadly it was and how well you did it makes me feel like Ugh. a horrible player makes yeah me, me too player. i hate it but he did point out to us that as you go further along in the game that those that increases your your battle skills increase yeah absolutely. Like there's an underlying oh, yes 
fights. And I used, like, saddle rings and all this shit. And I got, like, a B. And I'm like, excuse me? A B is a good <laughs> score. If I get out there with a C, I'm happy. No. Um, I wanted an A, damn it. That was a wrong, perfect battle. Bobby. A plus, ass Um... <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It has that similar Batman uh, feeling to it that the other games had, and I mean you'll hear more about it as as we go along. But, <laughs> I'm uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm m- most. I mean, I figured the gameplay would be there. I'm most anxious to see what the story is going to be like compared to the other games. So mm-hmm. see how that that develops. There's already Riddler stuff that I got to do that I know I'll never finish. You know, there's like forty thousand towers that you have to like decode and get into and everything. So side missions nope, nope, again. Nope, nope. Yep, not gonna happen. Um <laughs> all right, so uh let's move off the uh the video game train and talk a little bit about some uh comic book news here. Um let's start out with we'll we'll, we'll bookend this stuff with trailers. So last week uh the Ca- Captain America the Winter Soldier trailer Ooh. uh hit the net. Um and I was wondering uh, what everybody thought of it. So, Bob, for you as resident Captain America lover, uh, what did you think of the trailer? Love the trailer. Uh, you have this political thriller aspect to this, which it's certainly very now, certainly Brubaker, but also harkens back to the 70s when mm-hmm. they did a lot of that sort of stuff. It, it is still shocking seeing Robert Redford in this movie. I know. <laughs> it's just, what is he doing here? Yeah. But it, it sort of works. It really does. Yeah. We have Cap acting... Like Captain America, well, mm. I'm not happy. He's not mm. happy with what's going on. Yeah. So I love that they're pulling back in that. Mm. Uh, Falcon stuff looks good. That fight in the elevator is incredible. Mm. Winter Soldier looks just like he does in the book. Yeah, I didn't see any Sharon Carter though. She is in the movie. She is in the movie. They haven't shown anything with her yet. So I don't know. I don't know how much she's going to be in it and how much they're going to press on that storyline this mm. first time around. She's pretty high up the credits list when you yeah, look, true. look on IMDb. Now, that's not always... No, yeah, no, obviously not, but still, yeah. but yeah. I'm really digging that movie. I think it's going to be pretty special. Yeah. Who's playing Sharon Carter? Um, God, I can't remember her name, but she's the girl from that show Revenge. She's the lead in that show Revenge uh, on ABC. Yeah. Uh, uh, El- Emily Van Camp. Yeah, Van Camp. Van that's Camp. her name. Yeah. Um, so we haven't okay. seen anything of her, but obviously we saw a lot of others in that trailer. Steve, what did you think of it? Uh, I would probably have to say that it's the movie I'm the most excited for mm. out of the upcoming Marvel films. Uh, I still I still don't know what the hell Thor is about. Mm-hmm. So it looks pretty. Yeah. And it looks dark. And it's almost here. It's a week away. Yeah, it's a yeah, week there's away. screenings tonight. Yeah. Oh, there you go. It's crazy. But um, yeah, no, I really, I really dug it. I knew that the trailer was going to hit. I got up in the morning. It was the first thing I looked for. It was there. And I mean, I must have watched it write it like seven times Mm -hmm. and uh there was a line i'm gonna totally screw it up but there was a line in the trailer where he said um oh that's not freedom that's fear yeah yeah and moments like that is it completely reminded me why like when we did our our marvel films which is the best one Mm -hmm. and we we landed on captain america in the end spoiler yeah um but it reminded me as to how we reached that conclusion and just how damn good that movie and that character and Chris Evans playing that character has has been since Captain America in the Avengers and then leading into this. It just his progression to me has been the most successful throughout the films. It it feels like the next step for him. Uh, the tone of it's really cool. It's a little bit like the cinematography and just the overall look of it seems different than other Marvel movies. Yeah. And um, what was the... 
I don't know. I just I I can't wait to see more of him doing what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea that that we have a hero that's kind of questioning Shield and what they do and their involvement in things, and just asking asking a question that I've always wondered: like, how do you decide? who gets to do what and who goes and who stays and who's a threat and who isn't. Mm-hmm. And Captain America is like totally calling them out on it. It's almost as if we have a fictional character calling out our own real life, yeah. you know, political decisions. And uh, I just, I like that, that mask on the movie. I think it's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Stephanie, what about you? Um, I mean, I think we talked about it before, but out of all the um, Marvel movies, uh, Captain America surprised me the most. Um, obviously, like as a Canadian, I felt like there might be some, like sort of propaganda stuff. Like it wouldn't really necessarily click with, like as well with people outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I wound up loving the movie. Like I just thought it was exactly what it should be, and it didn't, you know, like cram the raw 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 America down your throat. America. And like so, Winter Soldier. I kind of again. I mentioned this a few times in the past little while, but I've been trying to avoid a lot of write-up about that stuff just because they tend to spoil the movies for us nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously I wanted to see the trailer and, you know, what was going on. And I was so pleasantly surprised. Like, it just looks so kick-ass. Like, Chris Evans, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of um, actors who are kind of underappreciated. Um, like, they're good and we like them. But we don't really realize, like, how good they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, even in Fantastic Four, which is terrible, Chris Evans is great in it. And, like, The Losers, he's so funny. He's the best part of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't be more stoked for him in this. Um, the line with him and Black Widow in the airplane. And, you know, she's like, so what you up to? And he's like, well, my barbershop quartet, they're all yeah. dead. So, <laughs> you know, nothing. <laughs> um, it just... The dialogue is sharp and on point. It's both like mixed with his time, you know, meets the time that he's currently in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that. And I love his chemistry with all of the actors he works with. Like, I feel like he kind of just hangs out with them and like, it's like, let's get to know each other, (laughs) champ. Like, he just. (laughs) He just talks like like, Captain America with them. (laughs) He just seems like an all-round cool guy to talk with, to work with, Mm -hmm. and to see on the screen. And, like, because of him, you know, like what Steve said, this is, like, my most anticipated Marvel movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with all the stuff that you guys said. It it absolutely is uh, my most anticipated one of the movies, even though I'm extremely excited about Guardians of the Galaxy. But... I love him as that character. I think I've said it before. I think Robert Downey Jr. recreated what Tony Stark was, but I think of all the actors they cast, Chris Evans is the most like his character in those movies, the comic book incarnation. He is Captain America. He is Steve Rogers. And... I, I look forward to that. The political stuff we talked about, it has that, that shot, that shot of Washington that's like in every single yep. political thriller they've ever made. But I love that it's there because it, it signifies something. Tinker um, Taylor, Winter Soldier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I feel, I mean, there's obviously no way that Robert Redford is not a bad guy. There's no mm-hmm. way. Because that is that character in all those movies. 
you know, I ne- he's going to send Captain America to do something. It's going to be and being shady, and we're going to find out that he's. And this is not going off of anything because no. that's not anything in the comics. It's not anything I read about it. It's just my my feelings as a uh, movie watcher over many many years. Uh, uh, Cap will be back in his office at the end of the movie, oh, pounding on his desk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, uh, but. It's awesome that Robert Redford is in it. it. It really does lend a certain weight to everything he says. Um, we get Black Widow here, and I love the fact that she's going to be a major player um, in in the movie. I think the little bit of Falcon we get looks very, very cool. And obviously the Winter Soldier stuff, you know, I think they're marketing it in a very interesting way because they're not telling you who the Winter Soldier is. Nobody, And it, it's not a character that people know, right? So... Jeff watched it and he goes, "Wait, so who's the Winter Soldier?" <laughs> and uh, and I said, "Well, it's that guy with the metal arm." But you didn't say anything else. No, I didn't say yes. anything else. I won't tell anybody who's not a comic book fan that th- who he is because if, if they're not if they're not going to spoil it, I'm not going to spoil it for him. Uh, and people are going to see it anyway, so it's not like that would make them want to go see it. You know, that guy who died on the train halfway through the movie is <laughs> coming back. Um, but. I think all that stuff looks great. Um, I think the action looks awesome. I think that they're, that the helicarrier stuff uh, falling down that looks like Avengers level action. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so I'm so excited about it. Yeah. I I can't wait to see what what what, what it turns into. Still have the close combat stuff. Too, oh which yeah, is good. But, but we see that the fight in the elevator and the fight with the Winter Soldier mm-hmm. with the knife it looks really great, and it's a great last shot the, when he throws the shield. Yeah. Cool. And it was cool too because I saw that I saw the footage at Comic Con and it was not it, it was some of this footage, like the Falcon stuff and a couple of other things, but it was mostly all different footage from that from that. Footage. Well, that was like when I saw Iron Man three yeah. the year before. Mm-hmm. It was the trailer that came out only a little different. Yeah, so it, I can't wait. I'm really really. By the excited. way, just like super quickly because we talked about Sharon Carter and then you just brought up Iron Man three. Have any of you watched the Agent Carter short on the Iron Man three Blu-ray yet? I have not watched. I totally it yet. forgot about it. Yeah. Oh it's- gosh, darn it! I need to. I don't really want to buy Iron Man three right now, but I really want to watch that short. <laughs> I'm sure okay. you can find it. Yeah, on YouTube <laughs> well, I, I will. For a I will. Or two somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there was all that. There was all those rumors about possibly her having her own show on ABC. And like Agent Carter show. Um, Actually, there's also talk about the end of Shields season leading directly into the movie. Oh, really? That they're going to tease something at the end of this season that will go directly into the movie, which opens three weeks later. Interesting. So <laughs> there's a lot of stuff obviously going on with the Marvel stuff and, and TV, the TV side of things. Uh, just staying with Winter Soldier real quick. We'll talk about this because it, it because it, it's related. Um, Marvel announced a miniseries, a Winter Soldier miniseries, just in time, uh, right before the movie comes out. It's coming out in March. Um, said it to be a James Bond-esque pulp thriller set in 1966, um, written by Rick Remender with art by Roland Bashi. Uh, has a really awesome cover. If anybody has seen the cover, it is super awesome. Um, really kind of following in line with those Winter Soldier covers they were putting out uh, in the second half of the run after Brubaker had left. Hmm. Um, so we'll have to see how, how that is, but it, it looks very, very cool, and I'm sure it will sell well because it it's right in time for something like that. I mean, Bob, is that something you'd be interested in picking up? Yeah, as long as he's not in Dimension Z, sure. No, I think he's just in uh, regular world. Good. 
Um, it's the the plot synopsis is two Nazi scientists have developed a top secret formula. Oh, they are ready. Nazis, <laughs> scientists, come on. That could potentially win the Cold War, and they've fallen into the hands of the evil organization Hydra. Shield sends in secret agents Nick Fury and Ran Shen to collect the scientists, but the Soviets have plans for them too, opening the Red Room and unleashing their own version of Captain America, the enigmatic Winter Soldier. Which Nick Fury? Um, the real. It I looks should, like the original Nick. Fury, it looks like, so. yes, original Nick Fury. Okay, I'm gonna assume. Because in the real universe, the the Nick Fury Jr. is like twenty five, right. so I don't he wouldn't be born at this point. Um, Very cool. Haven't so seen it, original Nick in a long time. Now. Yeah, it's true. He says um, this is Remender says it sets up future events that will shatter the world of Steve Rogers in the pages of Captain America next year. At the same time, it's a love letter to the early period 007 and Jim Stranko Shield comics. Sold. So there we go. Sold. Winter Soldier coming your way. <laughs> um, so over to DC very quickly. Um, in I think more news that's pertinent to history more than really anything else here. Uh, DC is moving its operations fully to the West Coast out of Manhattan into Burbank. Um, Bob, as someone who's followed comics for a very long time and obviously knows all the stories and all the legends and stuff like that, what does this mean historically? Once they became DC Entertainment, mm. it seemed likely that they would centralize everything in one place. Mm. They're a movie and TV company, and they have mm. comics on the side. That said, publishing business has been in New York for as long as there's been publishing. Mm. When it was important to deliver by hand the pages back and forth to the office or to your inker or whatever, everyone had to be on Long Island or New Jersey or Connecticut. Mm-hmm. With the internet and everything else now, that isn't quite so important. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the woman who's in charge, Diane Nelson, did mention something about missing the cultural publishing mm-hmm. that is New York and the interactions and relationships that get set up that way. There is some business will be lost that way. Yeah, It's just sad historically. Does it affect their business at all? Probably not. Right. No. No. It, probably on either side to yeah. make it better and or worse. Yeah. It just means less office space and less rent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it affects, you know, and now it affects people because the people who work at the New York office now have to decide whether or not they want to move to Los Angeles or not. Uh, and, the, you know, uh, Bleeding Cool, as they always do, like, collects Twitter like, reactions to the news. There's, a really, there's one really funny one. Sterling Gates says, looks like DC Comics book, D- looks like DC's comic book publishing arm is moving to Los Angeles. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, a pretty funny quote. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the the kind of sentiment was uh, moving to moving to LA. I'm gonna miss like the the history and the thrill of walking into the DC office in, in New York. Um, so you know, obviously, I'm being, except I don't even want to read them because they're so it's so strong. But Jonathan Hickman went like off, really went off, and not because they're moving, but you know. He said, never before in the history of comics has a greater opportunity to purge shitty editorial staff existed. So, I, I mean, Jonathan went a little overboard. So, um, but it, it's kind of crazy. Everybody else was very respectful. And uh, as we know, Jonathan tends to just say what he w- wants to say. Um, the thing with both companies at this point, this is not the 60s where you walked mm. into their office and there was Julia Schwartz holding court and mm. Joe Orlando around the corner drawing covers or whatever. Marvel doesn't have a bullpen where Steve Ditko's over in the corner drawing Spider-Man and Kirby's around the corner. It's all done by the internet. It's all done by yeah. mail. It's yeah. all done by messengers. So I'm sad for those people losing their jobs. Apparently they are getting 
arrangements made if people do want to. I'm sure. Move, yeah. They'll give them housing stipends in between um, I'm and sure, so on. Yeah. They're trying to make arrangements. Yeah. I uh, hope that they bring the archive with them, though. I mean, they've got like quite the setup at the DC office in New York, and I can't imagine them getting rid of it. But hopefully, they have like an equally awesome setup there. Mm, yeah. Um, well, the actual physical books are there, Steph. Yeah, they've got oh. like every comic that's ever been um, published. <laughs> and like when I was there last year, like before New York Comic Con, I got a tour of the archives, and the first comic book that they ever, ever, ever published. They had that copy and like they're like want to hold it and i'm like no no <laughs> definitely don't and just in case like you know i spontaneously combust i like develop my mutant powers that have been mia for a while and like set things on fire or like destroy it i really don't i can look i'll look hey look wow look that is neat <laughs> but they have um um collections like they have encyclopedias like is what it looks like but they've bound um Every comic, like ever, like every Huntress comic is bound into um, a series of, you know, hardcover books um, chronologically and um, creators can borrow them to, you know, for reference and research and stuff. Mm. Bob wants a library card. Yes, I do. I'm, I'm <laughs> drooling as you say. Yeah, all. it's incredible. Like it's just shelves and shelves and shelves. And it's like a big sort of industrial it kind of looks like um a smaller version of like um if you've seen like warehouse 13 you know where they store all of um like the lost like the artifacts and stuff it's like that but like with comics although not it's not like a warehouse it's a room (laughs) but you know they've got like big steel shelves and all this stuff and um they've got the weirdest thing that's in there though is they have um um because like when I, I I say this like I know what I'm talking about, but apparently I guess when they were casting the Superman movies, they have um they took a mold of everyone's like head and shoulders. <laughs> um, so like they have these molds of celebrities in like the archives in like their Superman stuff, and like Nick Cage at one point in time was supposed to be Superman, so there's like Nick Cage's. Superman mold there but like it's actually like his head like it's like you know but like from a mold and you're just like whoa that's so weird and tiny (laughs) anyways I don't know what I'm talking about anymore but they're weird and they're in the archives at DC (laughs) oh well (laughs) let's hope they preserve that (laughs) there's there's also like original art too by the way Mm mm-hmm Really cool original art. I'm sure. I'm sure it's awesome for stuff like that. Um, so there's that. Not we'll to hijack those trucks as they're heading out to California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of cool things there. Hmm. If you can ever somehow snag yourself a tour, do it. Well, get me one. Oh God, don't look at me. <laughs> My only in over there. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to say that your tour may never happen then. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, so DC's moving to L.A. Steve, do you have anything you wanted to say about it? No. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. That was, like, really sidetracked. No, it's all right. No, it's fine. No, I don't know. I don't have, you know. No, I was more going to Bob for it because there's, like, got a historic aspect to it. I mean, they're moving their business operations. doesn't affect when we get our books or how people write their books anymore. So 
it's not really a big deal to, to anyone who doesn't, you know, involved in the history of the office, I don't think. Right. Um, so, um, th- we'll close this news section out a little bit with the, the last or the second trailer that came out in the, in the past week, which would be X-Men Days of Future Past, uh, the new Brian Singer directed X-Men movie, obviously based on the Chris Claremont, John Byrne uh, story, classic story. Um, marks Brian Singer's return to the X-Men world, marks the return of a lot of cast members to the X-Men world. We've been, been we feeling we've been talking about it, I feel like, for two years now, and now we finally have real concrete footage uh, to look at. Stephanie, did you watch the trailer? Heck yeah. And what did you think? It's pretty incredible. It's like, it's weird because at first, oh, not at first, at times you're kind of like, oh, it's like watching, you know, the trailers for... The original X-Men trilogy, and then you're like, oh, no, first class. Oh, no, all the X-Men. Oh, no, first class. Oh, my God, everything is coming together. <laughs> That's exactly what I said while I was watching it. I don't know how you knew that. <laughs> and I don't know. It just looks awesome. Although I don't understand, like, there's this one scene where Michael Fassbender is, like, pulling Mystique to him, but she's, like, naked. She's in, you know, blue Mystique form. And I'm like, what exactly could she have on her that would allow Magneto to pull her across pavement. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sure yeah. we will find that out. But, you know, it looked awesome. Mm. I could not be more excited. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Stuff. <laughs> uh, Steve, what about you? Uh, I don't have as much enthusiasm <laughs> for it as Stephanie does. Um, I liked it. I kind of wish that the Captain America trailer and the X-Men trailer were a bit farther apart. Because when I was done watching Captain America, I was like, oh, my God. And then when I was done watching this, I was like, okay, all right. You know, um, it's weird. I, I watched the trailer. And I watched it a couple times. It's very serious. It's very dark and very, like, you know, it's very dire. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot going on. And I've, I've read the story. And I, I know that there is a lot going on. I was very disappointed that we didn't get to see any Sentinel footage. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure that at the end of the trailer that would be like the capper mm-hmm. and they would they would show us something um and i also kind of felt that i was watching a trailer for a movie that was about a different story it didn't look very days of future past to me um just the the setup of it some of the characters i didn't recognize and i've read the story twice one one time quite recently mm-hmm. And I didn't recognize characters that were showing up. And I, I understand that Days of Future Past was just like the foundation mm-hmm. for the story. And it's obviously not going to be exact. But I honestly felt that I was watching like a, a trailer for an X-Men movie, just the next X-Men movie with everyone together, not a trailer for the story of Days of Future Past. Well, it's like you said, it's just the inspiration for it. And it's, it's, a, it's the similar like base through line. Uh, of the story, but Bob, what do you think of the trailer? Well, I agree with Steve in that it doesn't seem like Claremont and Burns, mm. but we also are only looking at two minutes yeah, of right. a movie, and at this point, the thread is there of someone's going back in time. It's not the right person, mm. sadly, but <laughs> I understand for mm. business reasons we're yeah. doing what we're doing. I think we are getting a very serious take on this, which I'm happy about. If we, we all love First Class. Mm-hmm. Compare what this seems like to what X3 was like. Mm. <laughs> and then it's, all right, I'll go with Mr. Singer. Let's see what he does. 
Love that it's the 70s. We're 10 years out from the events of that. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing mm-hmm. the riot scenes mm-hmm. in, in Washington, I guess it is yeah. again. What looks like Nixon at yeah. one point, which yeah. is pretty interesting. Yeah. I have high hopes for this. It, it was fun seeing a very fully realized cable, even though I don't like the character. Mm. Uh, what seems like Warpath, I guess. Mm. The, the little bishop in there as well. Yeah. 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 Actually, it's Bishop. I'm it's Bishop, sorry. not yeah, Cable. It's Bishop, yeah. Cable, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bishop. Yeah. Uh, I wrote that down wrong before, too, <laughs> for some reason. Just threw that out there. Love seeing the mix and match of the different Charleses and Magnetos mm. and so on and so forth. There is one scene that seems that it is out of Days of Future Past, the book, mm-hmm. where there are three of them, it seems, running through some corridor in sort of a blue lit thing. Mm-hmm. It looks like a very old rogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm. Maybe that's where the rest of that shows up. Yeah. I think in this trailer, because except for the, I mean, the, the, the first class stuff, we got a little bit more open areas in the, in the, in the future stuff. We pretty much got them like in that one room, you know, there wasn't a lot of, we didn't see a lot of the future mm-hmm. in, in their, in their, in their world. Um, and still, I mean, it's the movie's still six, seven months out. So I think we'll get mm-hmm. another trailer before the movie actually, actually hits. Um, I think it looks good. You know, I am excited about it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I did not have uh, the, the jazzed feeling that I had after watching Captain America. I, I didn't. Yeah. But again, this is also because I am I was more excited for Captain America, the Winter Soldier, but, but before the, either the, I saw either of the trailers. So I watched the X-Men trailer and I go, okay, that looks like an X-Men movie, you know. And right down to like the, when I saw Bishop, I'm like, okay, that's like the Brian. That's how I would imagine the Brian Singer Bishop to look, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. We're gonna get Bishop, and we're gonna get some more hardcore, deep cut characters in these X Men movies. <clears throat> I think Brian Singer's a great director, and I can't wait to see what he does with these dueling timelines. Um, and Michael Fassbender is so fucking good as that character that I can't wait to see another movie. With him in it, um, and actually having Ian McKellen in it, and Patrick Stewart, and all that stuff, I am. I badly want Wolverine when he's in the sixty seventy time to wear the yellow costume. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I understand why he doesn't wear it in the future time because that's like the that the other time, but they've worn them in in that other one. So I'm hoping. Uh, who knows? But you know, you've I, wanted that forever. I wanted it forever because yeah. uh, I think it looks better than the stupid. I don't think they're stupid, but they—they they now they seem behind the times. The the the, the black leather outfits because they just we, so eighties man. It's not their eighties, but in the comic book movie landscape, they've gotten so much more comfortable with just doing the costumes now. Mm-hmm. Even if they're tweaked versions of the costumes, you it's know, recognizably Captain America. Exactly. You know, he has he has you know it's a little more like functional looking and less spandex looking but it's got a big star in the middle it's bright blue you know whatever um this they all wear the same uniform and i understand it like i understand what they did then i didn't i understand the ethos behind it even now they're a team they should be wearing the same thing um but i wish that it was a little bit more recognizable uh wolverine because i think the x-men trailers always kind of suffer from it because they lose that visual iconography even in this we don't even see magneto in his like mm-hmm. get up uh, which is so striking uh, visually, <clears throat> which they they never shied away from doing that no. ever. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I mean, those are all little things. I'm still incredibly excited about it. It looks serious. It looks operatic. It looks big, and I can't wait to see what, what we get out of it. 
A big sentinel head at the end or a big fist would have been nice. Though. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. You we know, know what's yeah. coming, though. Taste. I know it's coming, but yeah. I wanted to see it now. Yeah. What were we saying, Stephanie? I was just going to say, and speaking of, you know, Days of Future Past and Chris Claremont, if you haven't listened to Bob's interview, oh, you should go you. do that. Plug. <laughs> just saying. Absolutely. Just saying. You know, if you want some more insight into the creator himself. Yeah. And, you know, you mm-hmm. get to listen to Bob talk to him. Then it's true. Go check it out if you yeah. haven't. And hopefully you won't hear my knees knocking while I was talking. About it. <laughs> um, so yeah, absolutely. shameless plug on Bob's behalf. Carry on, everyone. All right, awesome. Um, so we're gonna, that's it for uh, news uh, for this week. Um, we're going to move on to our books of the week. Um, Steve, why don't you start us out? Oh boy, I didn't expect to go first. <laughs> I will go first. Um, well, I might as well tell everybody that I finished reading. I talked about it last week. Uh, I picked up Joe Hill's novel Horns. And, oh, it's so good. Oh, you've read it? Yeah. Oh, my God. I have to talk to you about something. Okay. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. So I finished the book. I started reading it last week. I guess the, yeah, a week ago. Uh, I don't read novels very fast. I just, I take my time. I, I read a lot of comics. Mm. I chomp down on Joe Hill's novels, apparently, because I, I blew through Heart Shape Box and I warped myself through horns. I finished it today. Uh, it was awesome. I'm not going to go <laughs> at length as to what it's about. If you don't know, quick synopsis. Uh, guy wakes up, really bad hangover from a night that he doesn't remember. He's pissed all over himself. And he looks in the mirror and he's got horns growing out of his head. The horns have a peculiar effect on the people that he comes into contact with. And they basically end up treating... Uh, this character's name is uh, Ignatius. They treat him like... Ignatius. What? Ignatius. Ignatius. Oh, Ignatius. I'm sorry. Um, they treat him like their own personal demon. If you want to think of it as the the angel and the devil on your shoulder and who you confess your sins to and whispers in your ear. Um, he, throughout the book, he goes through a transformation as he as he buys into these desires and kind of plays with his powers and so on and so forth. But... Um, that's what people will tell you. That's what I just told you about the book. But what people don't tell you about the book is it is an extraordinarily um, very emotional and romantic book as well. Um, the whole reason that he's going through all of this stuff is because a girlfriend of his, of his that um, a girlfriend was, of his his like lifelong soulmate. You right. mean? I'm trying not to, you know. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, on the back of the book, it's like. All right. Love of his life. <laughs> he they they met as children and they they fell in love with one another and they were together for about ten years. And when you're young and you go ten years with somebody, it feels like a lifetime mm-hmm. and you're you know. Um Wow, well, they meet when they're like eighteen and then they're together until like their late twenties. You're killing me, stuff. Well I'm just saying, like <laughs> carry on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, the book is really intriguing. It's kind of a, um, like a supernatural murder mystery, Mm -hmm. but exceptionally, exceptionally well-written. And every time that you think that you're going to be able to, to close the book and go do what you got to do, go to work, eat, sleep, whatever, he ends the chapter with another piece of the puzzle that keeps you wanting to know what the hell happens next, because it's kind of like, um... The Cape, where things just progressively get worse and worse and worse, and the the mystery gets deeper and deeper. Uh, And the last thing I'll say about it is 
it it's also very open ended, and that's not a it's not a criticism. It's actually a praise for the book. Uh, there's quite a number of things that I won't say they don't they don't get answered, but they're not fleshed out entirely. That you're able to make your own mind up as or theories as to what happened. And there's one aspect, or rather a location in the story, that as of right now, even having finished the book, I could imagine it being three different things. Mm. Um, and I love that about the book. Uh, it's one of the, what I'll talk to Steph about off air, and that I've talked to, I want to talk with Jackie, because she's read the yeah. book. Um, it's a book that after you've read it, you can sit down with other people and discuss many things, but particularly this one thing that was never clearly defined and I, I talked to a couple people today and I got all different answers. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I think yeah. like it's important to say, though, too, that that's the only real thing that's open ended. Like everything else has a pretty definitive like end to it. I mean, yeah. there's a couple things that could. No, no, not really. That's pretty well it. Like everything is kind of tied up nicely, like over with, done with. <laughs> it's like. I, <laughs> I would disagree just a little bit. I would say that there's two things that are very open-ended and they're like, pretty huge. I loved that the story takes place from the, a couple different perspectives. Um, and there's like mm-hmm. one that just like particularly gets like under your skin and you're just like, Oh, I hate you. Yeah. But um, it was such a, I read it in a day and a half. I borrowed it from my friend on like a Sunday night, uh, finished it like on, Tuesday morning and brought it back to her on Wednesday she's like did you not want to read it I'm like no I already finished it (laughs) Um, but it's so good and the thing that I really love about it is it's like this tragic love story but the best thing it's like a mystery Um, but he doesn't wait till the end to kind of lay everything out it's not like an episode of Castle where you know in the last like five minutes all is revealed Um, (laughs) you know it just it gives you pretty well like your answers right up front, just like, yep, this is it. And then it kind of just, you know, it gives you the big chunk of the puzzle and then fills in the little pieces from there, which I think is a really unique aspect of the book that Mm -hmm. a lot of other authors don't do. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Cool. Indeed. All right. What's next? Uh, Let's see. What else do I got here? I see a couple of books that are stashed in other Mm -hmm. people's piles. So go for them. Well, I might just talk about two more real quick. Um, talk about uh, Marvel Now What, mm-hmm. number one. Uh, I'm I'm not entirely satisfied with this issue, but I will say this much. The stuff with uh, Scotty Young, have you read it, Bobby? I read. The, I only read like the first yeah. couple pages of all it. Right, well, really, that's yeah. all he needs to read. Yeah, yeah. Um, no offense. You know, if you've enjoyed mm-hmm. it, that's awesome. And, you know, no, no offense whatsoever to, to the contributors of this book, but... Mm. Uh, the Scotty Young stuff was funny because he was really kind of ripping on his own gig. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading this issue, all I could think about is like I heard echoes of past Talking Comics podcasts yeah. in my ears as I was going through uh, this issue, particularly the very, very first thing called uh, Marvel Apocalypse Now <laughs> by Elliot uh, Kalan with art by Jacob uh, Shabbat. It's it pretty much calls out everything, especially what Stephanie's talked about about there being too many X titles and too many Avengers titles. And Steph, did you get to read this? 
No, not yet. All right. Well, you need to get your hands on it and at least read the first story because yeah. it's just it. So many, so many things that we've nitpicked or people have written in about that we've discussed and answered questions. So much of that is in this, and it's funny that as much as I was laughing at, at all the things that it was ripping on, all of a sudden it starts talking about the issues where people are just sitting around talking and like eating over Chinese food and discussing things. And that was kind of calling me out <laughs> and Bob and a few of, of us because we love those issues. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's kind of like, you know, ha ha, you know, this, these are heroes. <laughs> They're supposed to be off saving people and, you know, doing shit. And all you guys want is them going to the hair salon <laughs> and like a dinosaur walks in. And, <laughs> and it's just, it was funny because while, while I felt a little bit had by the story, mm-hmm. it also, I, I got nothing but laughs out of it. Um, there's After that. Not yeah, so after I mean there's there's like one other thing with um they're in a, a, a funny enough a coffee shop. <laughs> uh, Doom Doom at brunch or whatever. Yeah, Doom yeah. Doom walks in, all he wants is brunch and uh you know, Thor and She Hulk and Wasp and uh Invisible Woman are there and a fight breaks out and all Doom wanted was to, you know, get some pancakes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but the rest of it is is meh. It just I don't know, it lo- it lost a lot of its funny. Mm. Uh, for me in certain places. But um, to wrap up real quick, my absolute favorite book of the week, and I almost wish that this series had more issues so that it qualified for end-of-the-year stuff, <laughs> but uh, Sex Criminals number 2 by Matt Fraction with art by Chip Zdarsky. Uh, or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, my God. I took probably about 40 minutes, 45 minutes to read this issue it was a riot an absolute riot i i don't remember the last time that i sat down and laughed so hard at a comic book not only did i laugh at the dialogue and the situations and everything but there's so many little things there's one page of a guy standing inside of a uh, like a porno shop and li- literally, there's movie titles you can look at. There's, you know, uh, like sex devices with their own names. And just imagining Matt Fraction and friends and whatever sitting around talking about all this dirty crap and thinking about all this funny stuff that winds up in this. Like, there's a, there's a blow-up doll that says 50% off, slightly used. And it's hanging from the ceiling, all deflated and, and shit. Like it's hilarious. It, I don't know. It's funny. So is this like the the equivalent when the first one were all the various positions that they were yeah. probably sitting around yeah. making up on the whiteboard as they went? Yeah, yeah. New pussy sleeping bag. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's funny, but um, I mean everything. Everything was so super strong about the first issue that the second issue carried all of that over and more. The artwork is still gorgeous. It's still funny as hell, and what I really, really liked about it was it made me appreciate the first issue even more because I was realizing that we, in the first issue, we got Susie's perspective mm-hmm. of of her world. She calls it the quiet, mm-hmm. and having the the dual, like the male, uh, or rather the female first, and then the second, and learning the male equivalent to it. And hearing his side of the story, that it made the it made both characters feel very significant and very important, and not, it made me feel and realize neither one of them have been you know shorthanded in this mm-hmm. story so far. 
And they even added an element that there's other people that kind of like a um, like a police force of sorts mm. that are able to move within this world with them. Mm. And we don't know anything about them yet, but we've been introduced to, you know, villains or adversaries now. Mm. So now you're adding a whole other level to this quiet, this world mm-hmm. that they, they're able to create when they, they orgasm and they go into mm. this timed, you know, stopped universe right. thing. And... Um, I mean, I'm an adult. Mm. I'm a I'm a dude. I know, you know, a little bit about the birds and the bees, <laughs> and uh, it's just a very unique series, and it's it's very extraordinarily adult, but it's also very childish at mm. times, and I love that balance that it has, mm. and I'm I'm just enjoying the living hell out of it. Like I said, I sat with 45 minutes for one book, just pouring over, like holding it up to my face to read the teeny tiny little print in the <laughs> background, and I I was had tears in my eyes it was so funny awesome so sex criminals if you're not picking it up do it awesome all right bob what do you got for us okay starting off with issue number three of thunder agents phil Mm. hester and andrea devito really quickly because i'm sure this is not on everyone's list (laughs) anything that made this book successful during the 60s and when george perez and dave cockrum had it in the 80s it's just a really fun super science superhero super spy thing all mixed up in one we've got, we are deepening the mystery which is apparently millions of years in the making and for those who remember the old days the subterraneans are finally back <laughs> very little blue people not sort of the moloids but they're like that just clever dialogue good characters straightforward old-fashioned superhero storytelling so that's awesome. a good one <laughs> uh ff13 uh, it's Matt Fraction and all the All Reds, Lee yes. and Michael and Laura. As issue 11, as issue 11 of Fantastic Four back in the 60s had the Impossible Man and 12 was a Hulk versus thing, here we end up with the Red Ghost and the Watcher and the Blue Area of the Moon and the kids up there looking for a bathroom and the Watcher has a girlfriend and she's apparently in a delicate way to go with everything mm-hmm. else. 14 different iterations of the red ghost trying to sneak into the house to beat down their various adversaries who've sold them down the river in between the kids all take them out and we're still getting alex power and doom and ravona and all that's still going on in the background what's going to happen there yet still don't know will issue 14 have the submariner i'm imagining it has to now (laughs) since we've gone this way steve i know it's on your pile what did you think uh i it's funny hearing about hearing you talk about it. I think I'm enjoying hearing you talk about it than when I actually read it. Um, I didn't know who what the Red Ghost. Okay, I'm not familiar with him. And his super apes. Yeah, I had no idea what the hell was going on when he was splitting apart and showing up in different iterations and different parts of the building. I had, I didn't know what I was reading. Okay. Um, and I mean, and I've been I've been reading this since the beginning. I mean, I've been reading since we started, more or less, started the podcast. But um, I don't think he's been in an issue for years, <laughs> quite frankly. It's funny. I I mean, I I love you know how much I love FF. You know how much I love Fantastic mm-hmm. Four. I was really when these both of these series first started out. I was all about it. The last couple of issues of each have kind of lost me a little bit, um, and I. I hate to say it, but when Matt Fraction was off and other people took over, I feel like there was a slight dip in quality in regard to dialogue. Uh, I don't, I don't know these characters like you do, but 
every now and again, every couple of pages, there'll be a line that, for lack of a better term, and maybe I'm being a snob, but like that sounds lame, mm-hmm. or sounds like something that that character wouldn't say. And it's it happens every now and again. And it's really throwing me off. Like it's throwing me off of my my FF groove. Um, it's one of those things that because there aren't a whole lot of issues and they do run in tandem with one another, that I think that when I read them together, all together, I'm gonna have a blast. So I think it's a matter of pacing that it comes out once a month. And I it's one of those books that unfortunately I don't remember what happened last issue, even with the synopsis in the beginning i f- always feel a little bit lost because there is so much going on um but i mean the artwork is still phenomenal and it's still fun and it's still one of those relaxing books but at the same time this issue had me just scratching my head a little bit well a character that probably hasn't appeared in 25 years mm-hmm. it, you know there should have been more explanation i would but have appreciated me, it i I had a funny feeling going in based on 11 and 12 that we were going to see this character in Fantastic Four 13, which is the only issue that I can recall that had Jack Kirby pencils and Steve Ditko inks, Mm. which was kind of weird looking. Ivan Kragoff is a Russian scientist looking to duplicate the Fantastic Four's powers. Flies into space with a whole bunch of apes (laughs) in a ship with no shielding whatsoever. And the Fantastic Four are going up at the same time because they see what he's doing, you know, right. spy satellites or whatever. So they end up on the moon, and that's the introduction of the Watcher. See, I was so confused because all of a sudden he's running around, and then he's got apes, and we all know how I feel about monkeys. <laughs> so I'm kidding. Yeah. But, um, he's a monkey he, hater. Monkey <laughs> hater. Especially apes. They're yeah. even bigger monkeys. <laughs> the, see, Damn he, dirty he, apes. Damn dirty, exactly. <laughs> uh, the baboon can change shape. The gorilla is super strong, and it's the orangutan has magnetic powers. Right. See, I, I'm used to being a little confused when I read <laughs> FF uh, and Fantastic Four. But it's just, like I said, there. every so often there are lines that feel really out of place to me. And I'm still really angry that nowhere in either run since the beginning have they really utilized Franklin and Valeria. I feel like they've been not even side characters, and they were two of the characters that really drew me into both series, mm-hmm. Valeria in particular, and they've gone virtually practically unused with the exception of a couple of moments where Valeria gets to be smart. But Franklin, Franklin's done like Jack this whole time. He, he did like one miracle and that was it. Well, they said um, he said when he started that that, that was going to be the case. I know, but yeah. I that that doesn't do it for me. Yeah, no, I personally. Know. No, yeah. You know, wonderful series. Like I said, mm. I can't wait to sit down with it. And that's just like a, like Avengers and stuff like mm. that, where you need that that momentum and that continuous motion to really get like, you know, you're in the thick of the Mm -hmm. story and you're laughing and you're going through the ebb and flow of it. It's turned into one of those things for me where I feel like I can't pick up and get into the mood Mm -hmm. every month. Right. You know, it's it's weird for like one of my favorite books to become like that for me, but I'm just, I'm being honest. It has. Absolutely. What's next for you, Bob? Uh, It is an IDW DC comics joint project it's the uh, rocketeer spirit number two which came out after what seemed like three months in yeah. between pulp issues friction pulp friction is this one we have a new it's mark wade mm-hmm. and lawston wallace who i've never heard of before but quite frankly the art is pretty stunning Ooh. and it is a very interesting juggling act in that these two characters 
are drawn historically very, very differently. Will mm-hmm. Eisner and Dave Stevens couldn't be farther apart on the scale of things in terms of cartoony to mm-hmm. photorealistically that, that Stevens was. And yet here, both characters look as they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. The spirit always has a little bit of a grimace and, and, and Betty and Cliff look as they're supposed to. The, the shots of flight are pretty incredible. Mm. He is certainly the rocketeer mm. flying around. It's a great intercontinental mystery. Someone has. It's all about television, <laughs> which is just so, you know showing up at the Thirty Nine World's Fair, mm-hmm. and an alderman back in Central City has gone missing just after making a speech about keeping the airwaves public and so on and so forth. And there are people fighting against it. One, the octopus, which is the character that Sam Jackson played in that terrible movie. <laughs> And then a Trask, but not one of the mm. uh, sentinel-making Trasks, but right. you never know. Though here, uh, television apparently was invented by Doc Savage, so they don't mention him mm-hmm. by name, but they do talk about the bronze fella. <laughs> this alderman ends up dead and finds him. The body gets found on the West Coast on a beach by Betty, mm. and Cliff's girlfriend, which isn't possible in 1941. He can't go from one coast to the other in eight hours. Right. Doesn't happen. So the spirit and Ellen and the commissioner all go running out to L.A. and, and meet up. And, of course, they, spirit and Rocketeer don't get along, mm. have some fun adventures. Tons of great dialogue, lots of playful stuff between the two couples as they sort of rearrange. And the, the fellas and the girls are each working the angle, <laughs> so to speak. It is just charming and fun. If you've been loving the other Rocketeers, whether it's Cargo of Doom where we had Nazi dinosaurs... Mm. <laughs> Or the Hollywood horror, which mm. was wonderful old Hollywood stuff and mm. Cthulhu thrown into the mix for no other reason, and Scientology, mm. which probably aren't that far apart. <laughs> no, probably now, not. Now, now, that, now that I think of it, um, definitely pick this up. You may want to wait for the trade at this point, considering mm. how big a gap there was between the two issues. Yeah, that's why I didn't pick up issue two, because the, th- the, the gap makes me worried that I, this won't be done for six months. And exactly then, right. Like, I barely remembered that I had bought issue one when I, when I read out issue two was coming out. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait because I don't want to end up stringing along for, for that long a t- time no, between no, issues. It, it's, it's sad. Yeah. The work by Mark Wade here, it, it pays off. Mm-hmm. But it is daunting. Yeah. Maybe it's because they changed artists. Maybe they I think to, that definitely maybe, is the case yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, too bad. But again, if you want to pick it up, I'm sure they're mm. both still on the shelves because yeah. they're... The artwork is beautiful. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's really mm. nice. Yeah, the first one was Paul Smith from yeah. back in the X-Men days, yeah. and it hasn't gone down a lick. Really. Yeah. It's just as good second time around. Awesome. What was this? Sorry, Bob? Rocketeer Spirit Pulp Friction. <laughs> oh, okay. I have to remind you at some point in time about these amazing limited edition variant covers that are only available at a couple stores for Rocketeer Hollywood Horror. Ooh. And they are, I have some on hold right now, Ooh. but like they were done like a limited run and it was, um, who did them? Um, James White from Signal Noise Studio, but like they're, the, oh, what's like when um, there's a little bit of like pop out on the cover, like um, like the words, you can actually like touch them and you can feel like the texture. Bumpy. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah the I don't know. Term. I'm trying Vacuform. to like texturized, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Texturized. Texturized. Yeah. There's. I know there's like a proper word for it, yeah, but yeah. We got there's, it I have to send you these covers. They're absolutely amazing. And if anyone else is interested in them because they're digging that series or they just like variants, Strange Adventures, um, the store in Halifax, Canada, um, is the one that's producing and selling those 
uh, covers, and the Silver Snail has them as well if you want to check them out. Cool. Cool. I awesome. think I ended up with a couple of Walt Simonson covers. Oh, nice. Out of that one. Nice. Mm. The trouble with all these things is it's the one in 30, and mm. these books don't sell in those kind of numbers in yeah. regular stores. So unless you're in Midtown Comics or mm-hmm. probably the Silver Snail, you're yeah. never going to find any of these variants. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's tough. I don't know. But you have a friend at the Silver Snail. <laughs> See, I do appreciate that because I'm frankly averse to spending fifteen, twenty, thirty dollars for oh, covers. Oh, it's when like I twenty dollars, but yeah, it has it's... like a pack of four. Okay, because mm. don't don't you know get yourself broke. <laughs> oh no, these are worth it. Like I, okay. I, I haven't even read the Rocketeer yet, and I want these just for the covers. So mm. that tells you how awesome they are. Mm. Well, I'm a big Rocketeer fan from way back in the original. Oh, like I'll send, I'll send Steve one of these pictures, and you know he can show you with the with the internets. I'm just a, the the internet. interwebs. I'm just a mule. You are. I'm an information mule. Rocketeer mule. (laughs) You like it. I'll just use Steve. With your damn dirty apes. (laughs) Super apes. They're super apes. Monkeys and their cigars and they're looking like people dancing. Oh, I'm looking at them right now. I Googled them. They're really awesome. Yeah. Oh, they're beautiful. (sighs) What else you got, Bob? Yes, they are. They're amazing. Uh, My book of the week is Pretty Deadly Number One. Kelly Sue DeConnick, Emma Rios, Jordi (sighs) Belair, Clayton Coles. Might as well mention everybody here. It's it's kind of a... It's kind of an all-star team, like... Like throughout, like the letterer and the anchor, like awesome, like colorist. Sorry, the colorist yep. and the letterer are um, awesome because you look at all the big books, and there's like two or three, like colorists and letterers are on all those books, and these are two of those people that end up on those really big books. Yeah, so yeah, cool. Belair is everywhere right now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. She was she tweeted the other day that she's done so much big stuff lately that all of a sudden she has nothing to do. She's like, <laughs> somebody call me. <laughs> We can't afford her anymore. She's too <laughs> oh, big. She's amazing. Yeah. She's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, Bob, lay, lay it on us here. Sure. What I found most amazing here is, as someone who watches a lot of Western movies and fantasy films and everything, that what we have here is something that's equal parts Sergio Leone, John Ford, Anthony Mann, and Alejandro Jodorowsky, for those who know <laughs> El Topo and things like that. Whoa. Mm-hmm. It is... Mystical and weird in the way that things such as High Plains Drifter or uh, Pale Rider mm. were. Where is this just a Western? It's not. It started mm. life that way, but went somewhere else. We have a roster of characters that seems just so well delineated and well cast that I think I know who they are, and yet they're all fresh and new and different. And we still haven't met the lead character except for a panel or two. Mm-hmm. As we come down the end, I have no idea where this story is going to go. We get an origin sequence told in song that I want someone to record immediately. (laughs) That whole Western show on the Mm. sidewalk sort of thing with the the crowd in the background, that whole sequence, which is two pages of just goodness, uh, with tarot cards and all colored Mm. in this sort of sepia tone, orange and yellow and panels going left and right. And I don't know even how you're supposed to read it sometimes. Just... very J.H. Williams-esque. It is. The very layouts time. are very J.H. Williams-esque. That's absolutely right, Stephanie. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. Mm. I'm thrilled with this book, No End. Mm. I wasn't sure going in exactly where this was going to head, and I still don't know having read it, but I really enjoyed the ride. Can't wait to read another issue. Stephanie, you've read this book, correct? 
I did. It was phenomenal. I actually just read it yesterday. Um, I've been mentioning I'm a little bit behind on stuff, so I, I, I got to it. I went to actually go pick it up at um, the Silver Snail last week, and it went at noon, and they were completely sold out. I was like, come again? <laughs> what do you mean you're sold out? Um, so I didn't get around to it, but it was when I finally got to it, I was just like, wow. Like, it totally didn't start off where I thought it was going to start off, but it's so beautiful. I know a lot of people are, like, hit and miss with Emma Rios' art, uh, saying it's very, like, Paul Popish. Mm. Um, but, like, I think it's phenomenal. I love that she takes, like, it's just, there's moments when it's really gory, and, like, <laughs> I don't know, it's just beautiful. Um, and I know this is, like, not really to do with um, the story itself, but, like, somehow I kind of went through the whole thing and I was at the back and reading the dedications and uh, Emma's was brief, but Kelly's so, or Kelly Sue, sorry, was so beautiful. Like she had dedicated it to her children and it actually like was super touching because it seems for me that in the dedication, um, the whole idea for the story came from Henry Leo, her son. Mm. Um, So in the dedication, she talks about how, you know, she's so grateful that he shared these dreams that he was having with her. And, you know, she was able to flesh out a story from these dreams that her little boy was having. And at the end of it, she says, please thank Ginny for me the next time you see her in your dreams. Mm. And the next one to like, um, Tallulah Louise, Tallulah Louise was really great as well. And you just get these insights into, Kelly Sue as a person sometimes when you read the story and then you see these things that she kind of puts out there that are just so personal and beautiful at the same time and it kind of I don't know it just made the story a little more interesting to me that it kind of came from something that her like little boy thought up in his head while he was sleeping Mm. Uh, Steve what do you think of the book I really enjoyed it Mm. I really really did um I'm kind of a sucker for like sing song poemy kind of things and uh you know I I don't know if any of any of us really knew as with as much as we talked to Kelly Sue and even Emma Rios about the book that I still didn't know what to expect mm-hmm. when when I opened it and I I liked that about it there mm-hmm. was you know definitely a level to mystery when I when I opened it up and I mean the art is just gorgeous the the vulture girl running around i and the this is not a spoiler and the pen the very second page there's this rabbit that's kind of you know uh he's not gonna live anymore one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite panels of the year is just this very anime almost evangelian explosion of a rabbit and an, i love it um but I did recently read, and Steph, uh, I can thank you for this, from Becky Cloonan, I read Wolves and, um, not Demeter. Demeter. Meyer. Demeter, Meyer. Sorry, the Meyer, yeah. yeah. Um, both of them were phenomenal, by the way. Really I'm short. i you enjoyed them. Oh, God, they were awesome. They were really short, but very impactful and said everything that needed to be said. You got a quick little shot. It was like like if you could reduce the story to a shot glass and just throw it down that's what those little books were um and the pretty deadly had very much that quality of that it was telling you they're like stories upon stories 
like as you're watching current events unfold, they're telling you this almost this like folklore legend kind of thing. And then by the end, you know, we meet this pale rider and we really don't know the lineage that's going on. But I have a, I have a sense of what's going on, but I don't know. And again, that doesn't always bother me. And in the case of Pretty Deadly, it doesn't bother me at all because the book visually uh, was just very arresting and the story was presented in a fashion that really entertained me that I'm totally up for another issue to see what else they do with it. And I, I'm, I'm very patient to let them tell the story in whatever they way they want to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, sure, um, there's, a, there's a line from an old John Ford movie called The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance that gets quoted a lot. When the truth becomes legend, print the legend. Mm-hmm. And so here we don't know exactly what part of what we've heard moving through this whole song cycle is the truth, not mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. We'll find out as we go, which is a fun ride to go on. Stephanie, you were going to say something? So somebody actually did record the Pretty Deadly song. Really? Oh, really? Um, I've just pulled it up here. Um, if you guys have so- SoundCloud, the user is Admiral Beamish. So B-E-A-M-I-S-H. And it's all one word. So I haven't listened to it because I just found it. But it uh, is reblogged on the Pretty Deadly uh, Tumblr, which um, is prettydeadlycomic.tumblr.com. Cool. Uh, so that I'll... is up there. And Thank yeah. you, Steph. I'll put a little snippet of it in, in the podcast in between awesome. the two sections. Um, so for me, I liked the book. Um, here's the thing I think is funny about the book. I, we When East of West came out, um, we all kind of had the similar opinion of it's really awesome, but I don't understand it. So I'm not sure about it. That's the same exact way I feel about this book. Um, it's beautiful to look at. It's very well written, but I don't have a, I don't even have a little idea what's going on. I shit know nothing about what's going on in this book right now. <laughs> it is, it, 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 it is told like a poem, you know, it's out of order and it's, it, 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 it kind of, it it's it short it's it shorthandedly tells you about characters it it's a, and, it, and I it's funny the thing about the dream in the back of the book because that's what it feels like to me it feels like I'm going from one place to another and I don't really know what's going on and who's this character and who's this person and what's the relationship uh you know it, it so that feeling to it it kept me off balance and that's not a bad thing but it kept me from fully engaging in what was happening in the story because I was always trying to figure out where I was. Um, and that's just the way I read. I can't turn my brain off when I'm reading stuff like that. So I, I have trouble getting enveloped in, in in those kind of stories. Now, just like East of West, I believe in the creative team wholeheartedly. So I'm going to keep reading the book because I thought it was very good. And the artwork is stunning. When we... When she did her, her her issues of Captain Marvel, I said like, oh, I didn't, I, I liked it, but I wasn't crazy about it. I, I'm I'm crazy about it in this book. Uh, I I love. It feels a little bit different for her. It doesn't feel like what I've seen exactly from her before. It's not as um, I guess fashiony as I think those other things like Strange is mm-hmm. and and her stuff in Captain Marvel was. Uh, it it is gritty and it is it's. It's grainy and, you know, you feel a little gross about some of the stuff that happens. And that's all great because that's the tone they're going for. So I liked it, but I had trouble getting into it fully because of the reasons that I said. That being said, and Stephanie brought up the acknowledgement at the end, the essay at the end of the book that she wrote about 
you know, going through her life and reclaiming her life and, and learning how to give in and, and fall and all these things, it almost made me cry. So, you know, it was a beautiful essay and it, and it was those kind of things that I love to read and the way it was, I felt like I was reading someone's memoir. And, um, and also I thought that the short story in the back of the book was also very good as well. Um, so overall, I mean, from page one to pay the, to the back cover, you, you have interesting things to read. And I think I said this on the comics and coffee, even if it's not your cup of tea, it's worth at least trying it out because you're going to at least have something to talk about and get an experience that you don't get every single day when you read a comic book. Uh, but as far as pure enjoyment, I just wasn't, I wasn't there yet. So we'll see what happens in the, in the, um, in the preceding weeks. And uh, also, <clears throat> uh, there was some controversy during the week, which I won't get into whatever, mm. but, um, Kelly Sue wrote up a thing about it and then kind of in the middle of it all, she also wrote this. I'm just going to read it instead of trying to pick apart everything. But she said, you know what we thought this book would do? Nine to 12,000. A couple more experienced people at Image said that they thought it might do as well as 20K, and we guffawed. When we saw the initial orders, I was in Brisbane, and Fraction will tell you I got lightheaded. My hearing went out, and as of right now, we have gone through, we have blown through our print run of 57K and are going to a second printing. Do the math, she says. With the second printing, we're going to be at three times our dream number. Mm -hmm. So, like, I feel like that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for like mm-hmm. a creator-owned book. Um, so, I mean, pre-orders, guys. Yeah. It, I mean, it proves uh, also uh, what Image has kind of proven out over the last couple of years that you put the right creative team behind a book and you can sell it just as well or better than established mm-hmm. superhero books over at the other companies. You know, because... Saga outsells most of the superhero books. You know, it's always in that top 20, top 15 area. Um, And I mean, The Walking Dead's a whole other beast, but you you, you look at the numbers. I mean, it's, it's awesome to see books like this from creators who are passionate about it uh, doing, doing so well. So, um, so that's it for you, Bob. That's it. All right, Stephanie, what about you? Um, So again, as I mentioned, I'm a little bit behind on things, but I've been trying to do catch up. My life has just been crazy. Um, so this isn't really a new title and I'm not finished reading the whole thing yet, but, um, Marvel put out two volumes of this comic, um, called strange tales. Mm. Okay. So you might've heard of it, but it's like these really bizarre quirky stories as told largely by independent, like just sort of indie artists and writers and creators in general. Um, so I only read a few things and some of them are kind of like, and, some of them are hilarious. There's like a Paul Pope in a human story that just involves lockjaw. Basically like the inhumans come back from earth with like, you know, this can of dog food and they're like, Ooh, we've been told it's gourmet. <laughs> and you know, they're trying and lockjaw's like so excited. He's like, Oh my God. And you know, they keep on getting called out to these missions and no one ever like finds the time to open the can for him. And he's just like, ah, so, like, Lockjaw goes in and tries to, like, save the day in order for them to, like, have the time to feed him. <laughs> and it's just, like, this quirky story about, you know, him trying to get fed. And there's, like, this other story. It's, like, Doctor Strange versus Nightmare by um, Dash Shaw. And, you know, it's basically, like, Doctor Strange is sitting down to eat soup. And then his he's, like, eating Alpha Gettys or something. And, like, his soup is, like, spells out 
this soup is not poisoned. And he's like, ah, what a relief. But then he's, it turns out to be poisoned. He's like, damn, soup, tricky. <laughs> and, like, you know, this whole thing, like, progresses from there. But they're just, like, really weird stories that you wouldn't see anywhere else. And there was this other one that I got to called The Punisher Scared Smart by Johnny Ryan. And um, basically, you know, there's, like, this dad and his son. And the kid comes back from school. And he has, like, a terrible report card. And um, the father is kind of like, you need to study. No more video games or anything for you. And the kid's like, yeah, right. What you going to do about it? You know, like the dad doesn't know how to deal with it. And all of a sudden the Punisher like breaks into his house. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to deal with this for you. <laughs> and like basically he just holds a gun. Like he literally holds a gun to the kid's head. And like a couple like a page later, it's like several years later, you know, and the, there's, the Punisher is still holding a gun to the kid's head. <laughs> And he's like, you know, the guy's like, oh, I've just graduated from Harvard with, like, <laughs> degrees. I'm a lawyer, a doctor, a scientist, an astronaut. Thanks, you. Thanks a lot, the Punisher. But you wouldn't have really shot me, would you? And, like, I won't. There's a couple more panels after that. But, like, <laughs> it's so funny. And these are just, like, I promise I'm not spoiling anything. They're hilarious. And there's a ton of them in each volume. And these ones are from... Strange Tales Volume 1. And seriously, that's like six stories in. Hmm. Um, they're really fun. They're really... There's a Kate Beaton story in there somewhere, Ooh. too. Yeah, I know. Um, so that was something I started reading at uh, Starbucks until this old couple kept staring at me weirdly. Like, they were, like, staring into my soul. And I'm like, can I help you? Do you want to borrow my comic book? They have nothing, old people have nothing better to do but stare into <laughs> your soul. I know, right? That the old oh. couple from Rosemary's Baby or something. You should just you should just Probably. not go to Starbucks. You seem to have the creepy guy oh, all the time no. there. But <laughs> the they finally started guy. spelling my name right, Bobby. She needs her pumpkin spice latte. Do you need? Oh, I'm so poor right now that I actually had to go fill out surveys because like they'd given me all these receipts and for some reason I kept them. And they're like, fill this out and you'll get a free drink. And I was like, yeah, never. And then I was like, oh my god, I have no change. <laughs> and so I totally went and filled out all these surveys for free pumpkin spice lattes today. That's a thing that happens. <laughs> anyway, so speaking of books, mm -hmm. um, I read Rat Queens number two. Yeah. And Curtis Weeb and Rock Up Church are knocking it out of the park. It was awesome. Love it. It was awesome. I love it. And like Curtis's dialogue is spot on. It's like fucking hilarious. And Rock's art is amazing i love his style and curtis and him work so well together and i think he really gives the book that extra oomph. so i love it um i talk about it all the time so i won't go into it rachel rising number 20 was amazing it was amazing it was so amazing it was all the amazing all the amazing <laughs> um and red sonia good sonia um mm -hmm. Is anyone else going to talk about Velvet, Bobby? Well, I was. Talking? We can talk about it now. It's fine. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure if it was like your definitive book of the no, week. No, it's or... one of them, but it was not a definitive. Well, so I just read that before the show, and um, Ed Brubaker and who's the artist? Sorry, Steve Epting. Um, I didn't really know what to expect, but like we talk about following creators all the time, and Ed Brubaker is obviously one of those creators that I follow. Mm -hmm. Um, and whoa. <laughs> like it was so good mm -hmm. i didn't know what to expect because like 
again, I've been keeping up minimally with what's coming out. Like, I, I just don't want things kind of spoiled for me. And um, it was just, like, everything I could have possibly wanted it to be and didn't know that I wanted and more. It was <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> and, like, like, the first three quarters are good. And then the last couple of pages are just, like, they mm. kick you in the stomach. And the kid, they punch you in the kidneys. They're just awesome. They, they're awesome. So awesome, Bobby. Take it away. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Velvet, for people who don't know, is a it's a spy book. It's set in the seventies, and it's sort of you could call it maybe a female James Bond type of story. But uh, at least in the first issue, it's much more. I guess to bring up something I've said about before, a more Tinker Tailor soldier spy. <laughs> it's 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 very much more you know uh, research and uh, you know tension, and you can you know you can hear like you know the noir piano playing in the background. You can almost feel the cigarette smoke you know coming out mm-hmm. of the out of the pages, and you know it's about Although- this. Sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. Although it's not quite as noir as Fatal. No, it's not. No, it's definitely not. It's definitely more... Um, James, James Bondy than... Yeah, it's more, it's more 70s spy than it is, James, than it is um, uh, noir-ish. But it, it, it's really great. Steve Epting's art is... is I, I love it. I know that some people don't... I, uh, some people don't like the... I guess the exactness of the faces that, that he... That he he renders, but I, I think always looks beautiful, and, and especially for stories like this, it works so well. And it was Baker was talking about on Twitter how how um, kind of kismet it was that the book came out the same day that the Winter Soldier trailer came out because obviously th- that they did that book together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it tells the story of the the, the character of Velvet. She is the assistant to the the head of this organization and. She has this photographic memory, and there is an agent who ends up dead, and they launch an investigation, and she can't let go of inconsistencies that she sees in her report, and she needs to go out on her own and figure out what's going on, and that is the impetus kind of for the way the story takes off. And it goes in their current time, which is in the 70s, back into the 60s, and you see her you know, knowing these people and her developing to the person that she is. And there's a lot still secret and a lot still kept under wraps, obviously, because it's a spy story. But pure mute mood and ambiance through the, like Stephanie said, through the first three quarters of the book, it's almost pure mood and ambiance. And then the last over the book, it, you know, like Stephanie said, it, it kicks into high gear. Adrenaline! And it gives you kind of a, a more of a taste, I think, of what the story is going to be like going forward and who this girl is. But there's some cool things that he does when he inverts ideas. You know, it starts with the the voiceover by the the male agent and you know he's being all badass and suave and then he talks about her and he says you know we we were out one night and we were um we were drinking all the all the male agents and we were telling all these stories and the stories got raunchier as we got drunker and then we all found out that we had had a thing with the boss's secretary and we all thought we were the only one so she was playing all of them you know and and that's and there's a little bit of a hint to if I had just spoken to her about it, maybe things would have been different, and then the story launches. So, well, 
full of mystery and full of stuff. I I, I think it's going to be a great series. But, one of the yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, no, go one ahead. of the best moments following what you just said regarding mm. you know them talking about you know they're joking about it and they're like oh we all had her like oh and yeah. then you know he follows it up with like a little thought bubble afterwards and it's kind of just like and that was the moment I realized that uh, Velvet was far more dangerous than I ever could have imagined. Yeah, and it was just like. I like that. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, very, very good, though. As you would expect from Brubaker and Epting, um, definitely a book to check out if you like spy stuff. Uh, definitely. Uh, Stephanie, anything else that you want to talk about? Yeah. So um, my actual like book of the week uh, was something like, I feel like anyone who's really talked to me about my comics origin story is kind of knows that I started with Archie Comics mm. um, as a kid. And I haven't really read Archie comics for years, um, probably, you know, since I was a kid living back home with my parents. Um, but uh, I follow Francesco Francovella on Twitter, and I saw that he had been working on Afterlife with Archie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I was really curious. He's tweeting reviews, and I was going through them, and I was just like, whoa, this book is getting, like, really awesome stuff. And, you know, Archie can be a bit, like, hokey. They have, like... Archie meets Kiss and Archie Glee Club and like all these other things. So I was really wary of, you know, wanting to get back into the Archie world. But after reading some of these reviews and seeing that, you know, Francesco Francovella does the art for it, I was like, yep, I got to check it out. So um, Afterlife with Archie, number one, story by Roberto Aguera Sicasso. You got that name exactly right. Oh, look at me, guys. Look at, look at, look at. Um, and again, artwork by Francesco Francovella. And um, basically, this is a story that's, you know, the first page is like, this is how the end of the world begins. Mm. And it's a zombie story, but, in, but set in the Archie world. So, like, this sold me right off the bat, because, like, my favorite parts of the Archie comics were the Sabrina stories and the Josie and the Pussycats stories, which I dressed up as on the weekend, by the way. <laughs> everyone anyways but like right off the bat you know it's very if you're familiar with Francovella's art you know he has like a really um noirish color mm-hmm. palette and um it's just beautiful the story like if you buy this for no other reason buy it for the artwork it is incredible to see what he does with these characters that like me and probably tons of you grew up with Mm. like and you know there's this um frantic scene right off the bat and somebody's running and running and running and somebody steps up to a door and you know on the door it says spellman and right off the bat i'm like sabrina (laughs) (laughs) yep yay and um things kind of escalate from there but like i love how he draws sabrina i love how he draws betty i love how he draws veronica and the story is so fun and like spooky at the same time too. Like Sabrina's ants, they get terrifying at one point. Mm-hmm. Like Raphael Albuquerque, American <laughs> vampire claws everywhere, terrifying. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, 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 kids book. Whoa, <laughs> this is the stuff of nightmares, people. <laughs> it's so good. And just in time for like Halloween, it's been out for a couple of weeks, I believe. Yeah. Um, so you can definitely, if you're interested, just hop on down to your local comic book shop and pick it up. Yeah, if you can but, find it. Yeah, it's hard to find. Really? Yeah. yeah. I 
do not have a copy. I have not read it. All I've wanted to do is read it since yeah. I heard about it. And I had oh a table full of copies next to me when we were waiting yeah. for Kelly Sue, staring at me in the face. <laughs> and I didn't plunk down my $3.50. Mm-hmm. And I screwed myself. And I still have not even seen this book. Oh, my God. It's so, so pissed. beautiful. I got myself a digital copy of it. Um because I just I haven't really had a time the time to go to the shop otherwise to get pretty deadly which was sold out. <laughs> um, my fault for not pre-ordering it. Um, but I loved it, and you know I thought that I would go in and I would talk about it like on the show and be like, "This is a fun little Halloween story, guys." But seriously, it was my favorite book of the week. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's you know with Velvet and Rat Queens and Pretty Deadly thrown in there. Yeah, it was just perfect. It mm-hmm. was the absolute perfect story for this week and the art and the story are phenomenal. And I hope that it lasts. Like, I don't know. It's, I guess it's a mini series. Yeah. Right? I think it's a mini and gets a four or five issues. I think I'm going to buy it all. It's yeah. so great. Yeah, Please go it, read. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Awesome. Um, so for me, uh, really quickly, uh, Wolverine, the X-Men number 37, which is chapter nine of battle of the Adam, the next to the last part, the penultimate chapter, Keeps it going just giant. We are in the middle of a giant battle right now between X-Men and X-Men and X-Men and X-Men. Um, some awesome moments, some great, you know, matchups and fights. And uh, there's a, a great Quentin Choir moment where nice. he meets up with his future self. And his future self has a, has a certain select power set now that he can't really believe. <laughs> so it, it's pretty awesome. Um, we're almost done with this. And I recommend anybody who's interested in it is still picking it up. Um of course, Daredevil was awesome. Daredevil, uh, so good. number thirty-two, freaking amazing. <clears throat> um, Daredevil ends up running into the you know Frankenstein and the Mummy, and those are Marvels. Versions. Yeah, I know, no, I yeah, know. Yeah. Um, he you know he ends up he ends up going to this back backwater backwoods town because he's looking for um, Doctor Strange sends him there because he's looking to there's some magic afoot. And he needs to, you know, figure out, like, what's going on. And Dr. Strange says, well, I'm not the person to ask. You need to go ask this person. So he sends him down this place. And uh, he keeps hearing people talking about, like, keeping a certain kind out of, out, of the, out of the area. And he thinks it's about, you know, he thinks it's about black people. That's what he thinks it's about. <laughs> and, and he tries to stop, like, a, a mob. And it leads to the fact that they're trying to stop these, you know, horror creatures from entering their town. Um it's a really awesome book. It takes it to the place you wouldn't expect from where it started, from when the issue started, from when the last issue left off. But that's what this book has always been doing. A couple of week, you know, a couple of months ago, we got Silver Surfer. This month, we get Little Doctor Strange, which which is really awesome. Um, it's just great, and uh, you know, month after month, it's it's a fantastic read. It's ending. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, they've in the back of the book, they they talk about it and. I think it's issue 36, Six. I think yeah. it's ending. So we still got four more months. Um, there has been talk from Mark Wade and Chris Namney basically saying, like, it's ending because this story for, you know, him, him is ending and it's re-going with number one. We're not necessarily going anywhere is kind of what they said. So we'll see what happens. But even if they do leave, 36 issues... I mean, three years of writing the best book, I, I one of the best books on in... In the entire comic landscape, uh, you can't go wrong with that, and it'll be a run that's remembered. But again, awesome. Um, Aquaman number twenty-four, uh, picking back up from the storyline that we got a couple months ago. 
Um, uh, Damn it, forever evil. Yeah, Ar- Arthur, uh, Arthur wakes up a few months after he had passed out. He's got a beard. Awesome stuff right there. Uh, and we learned about it. This is more stuff with Jeff Johns digging into the history of the character and redefining who the character is and what his relationships are and you know, not knowing necessarily his lineage because he, since he's so long been removed from it. And uh, it's just great character building stuff where we deal with the the birth of Atlantis and when it sinks and all this kind of stuff. Um, it, it's really great. It's basically like Aquaman going in the pensive from Harry Potter and seeing <laughs> like history lay out. You know, he's going to the memories of his ancestors. Look into the pool. Um, we only got a couple more issues with uh, Jeff Johns, so we'll see how all that shake out, shake out, shakes out. It's all right. Uh, but my absolute uh, book of the week is Young Avengers number eleven. La, 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 uh, you la, haven't read it yet, Steve? No. Oh my god! Of all the books this this week, uh, just talk about it. Of all the books this week, well, I'm not gonna. I won't spoil it. But, I know you're not gonna spoil it. Just talk about it. Are you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is. It's not the end of anything, but there is a major, major change that occurs in this book that's going to shift the landscape of not just Young Avengers, but the entire Marvel Universe as far as a certain character goes. Um, I was initially reserved about the move when I, I could feel it coming, uh, but after it was done and after I've heard people talking about it since the different writers um, who are going to be handling the character from now on, I'm I'm okay with it. I think it's going to be a fun take and it's time to change things up a little bit. Um, that being said, anybody who's read the book knows what I'm talking about as far as the character I'm talking about. Uh, outside of that, we do get kind of the build up to what seems to going to be the end of the mother arc, the, the villain from the other dimension. Um, there's this great, the great panel where she's basically saying, okay, we're going to invade the world with a group of, you know, kind of bizarro superheroes, evil superheroes. Um, and so, uh, the one young Avenger calls every single young character in (laughs) all of the Marvel universe to help him out or he texts them. Sorry. He does not call them. He texts them. (laughs) Um, so prodigy texts, all of them try to get them. And there's some funny like nods to, um, characters who are kind of MIA or too far away or, and stuff like that. But I think it's going to lead to a very, very fun um, ending to, to this arc and a kind of a crazy one at that. Uh, but anybody's reading this book, Young Avengers number 11 keeps the same uh, tone and and wit and great art by Jamie Mc, uh, Mc, McElvey? McElvey, right? McElvey. Jamie McElvey. Yeah, right? Um, I feel like I'm always saying his name wrong. Um, but Awesome, awesome stuff. Kieran Gillen, rocking it uh, the same as he's been through this whole run. Uh, can't recommend it enough. So that's it. There you go. Books of the week done. Uh, we're gonna take a little break, and we're gonna come back, and we're gonna talk about some horror stuff. And uh, you guys will first, though, hear my interview. Uh, I'm gonna say his name right again with Adewale Akanoe Agbaje uh, about. I feel Thor- like a st- spell has just been cast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh- Zatanna! <laughs> uh, about Thor 2. So here is our interview with Adewale, and we'll be back right after that. Hey, Bubby. Hey, Adewale. How are you doing? Doing good, mate. And yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for uh, talking to me this morning. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, <clears throat> so uh, hopping right in, um, we're just a, a few weeks away now from the release of uh, Thor The Dark World. Uh, what has it been like for you to be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and to work with Marvel Studios? 
Um, it's been an absolute privilege and uh, pleasure, honestly. Um, on two counts, you know, obviously as a, as a, as a you know, a fan and uh, as, a, as a boy, I had grown up watching um, the, the, the cartoons and reading the comics um, and then to be able to participate in the Marvel Universe as not only one character but two has been absolutely enthralling. It's been a real experience. And nobody really does these kind of movie genres better than Marvel. They they really fully invest themselves in creating the world. I mean, they believe that world, and um, they bring talented actors on um, to convey it. And I just felt very privileged to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in the original, in the first Thor film, uh, one of the uh, for me one of the best things about it was there was a real diversity uh, in the in the fighting styles and the battles. You know, when you when you saw Thor fight the Destroyer, it was different. When Thor fought Loki, they had two distinct fighting styles. Um, as, as, a, as a villain in the movie and as someone who obviously is going to be doing battle with the character, did they bring that to the second movie as well? Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, you're going to see quite, you know, obviously the two characters, I mean, it's really cursed that it has the meat of the uh, fighting sequences and you will see an, uh, an amazing fight between... Um, curse and, and Thor I think one that you haven't seen before I mean there is curse is an unstoppable force of darkness he truly is and you would not want to meet this kind of creature even as Thor and um, it really is um, a toe-to-toe match it, it, it is brutal and Thor um, curse is formidable he's probably one of the most formidable opponents that Curse has had to face. And um, the, the fighting styles, no matter what style um, Thor has, it's, it's almost not enough for, Thor, uh, for Curse. I mean, he is so formidable a force that um, he really puts um, every ounce of Thor's ability to the test. He really does. You're going to love this. <laughs> You're really going to love this, though. It's absolutely epic, but it really is a big man's throwdown. Awesome. Awesome. Did you, uh, did you have to do any kind of special training uh, for this role in particular? Um, yeah, you know, apart from I was, I was saying to earlier to other, in other interviews that um, you know, just the the, the the makeup process for both um, Algrim and Curse was very arduous and quite challenging. I mean, Cur- uh, Algrim alone was um, three hours, and Curse was about two. And often I'd have to play the same characters in the same day, which was like five hours into makeup and maybe two three hours to get out of it. So. That's what you were facing. And then, you know, the suits, the curse were, both of the suits were quite heavy. They weighed about 30, 40 pounds. So that was an added, you know, element to performing. But um, it, it was all great because it informed the character. But in order to wear those kind of suits, you not only physically do you have to be strong um, because the, the, the suit, the, the rubber I was wearing for Curse, it's so taut that it has a tendency to pull the torso down. The gravity tends to pull. So you have to, I had to do a lot of back exercises 
to maintain a straight stature so that his shoulders are out and his chest was up. And then um, lots and lots of stretching because uh, surprisingly the, the curse suit was quite flexible. Mm. Um, but I had to do a lot of stretching because of um, the flight sequences. You, you just have to be very agile within it. Great. Um, uh, the character you're playing, Curse, you mentioned, um, he was created by who many who he considered to be like the seminal Thor writer creator, uh, Walt Simonson. Um, do you go back and look at any of those stories to kind of get reference uh, for your portrayal? Yeah, I mean, coming on board myself and Alan Taylor, the director, we did quite a lot of. Um, I mean, they're, they're, you know, Marvel themselves—they just, you know. You get a real in-depth seminar as to who these characters are. Nobody knows that well better than them, and they really, really sort of like pull you into it with, you know, not only the comics, you know, visuals, um, sketches, and then you, you know, you do your own research outside of reading um, who these creatures were. But more, more, more than just who they were and what they looked like, their powers and. And investing yourself in their world, just trying to understand, you know, where they're coming from. You know, you don't just compare them as bad guys. Mm-hmm. These are scorned, what I felt were scorned victims who, whose race had been wiped out by the Asgardians. And um, there was a point within when the constellations were, were right where they could return and... Um, you know, make a claim for their own, you know, reinstate their race. Mm-hmm. And, and, and here are two characters, Algrim and Malekith, who are sworn to the house to do that for themselves and their own people or, or, or race. And, and Algrim was this noble kind of lieutenant who would place the bigger goal beyond his own life. And, you know, these are, these are traits that are very human, but they were within an alien, you know, and, and, and I thought it important to convey them um, so that you, you can at, at least understand them before you hate them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I find that is, is what what's important. I think that's what makes it more intriguing. I think Marvel are really good at that. They had to service a lot of characters in this installment, and I think they did it really well. Awesome, awesome. What, um you mentioned the director, Alan Taylor. What was it like on set working with Alan and working with Chris and, and Tom and all the other actors there? I mean, Alan uh, and I had worked together before on um, uh, many years ago on a, on a show that I did called Oz. He had directed several episodes. So our relationship began then, um, and, and, and we always said that we'd work together again, and this was an opportunity to do that. Um, with the other actors, I mean, it was great coming into this installment because, one, they, they were already, you know, a formed family. They were a Thor family, and you felt that coming in, but they did, they, they welcomed me with open arms, which was great. Um, you know, to be in a room with Anthony Hopkins, Renee Russo, and, and, and Tom and Chris, it was great because not only are they great people to work with, but they're all very invested in their characters. Um, and, and, and we just had a lot of fun. I mean, there was a moment when myself and uh, Tom Hiddleston and Chris, we were in Iceland on uh, black volcanic, like, almost like a... It was very surreal. It was, it was as if we were on another planet. Um, black, 
sand everywhere. And um, here we are in these surreal outfits, and we just, you know, in the middle of the scene, just stopped and looked at each other, took in the, the, the environment, and just had to have a little childish giggle and said, you know, can you believe we're actually living this and we're actually living that dream we're, we're, we're boyhood dream where we're playing superheroes here we are in Iceland in these outfits doing it so you know as much as there was um, the invested commitment to conveying these characters as truthfully as possible there was a lot of boys, boyish and childish fun <laughs> um, you know you have done obviously you've been working for a long time you've done a lot of movies and you've also done a lot of properties that people care very passionate about whether it be Thor, whether it be G.I. Joe, whether it be Lost, is there a different pressure doing things like that than doing uh, a role maybe that doesn't come with those same expectations? Um, not really. I take every job. I mean, you know, it's two considerations for me when I, when I take a job. It's really um, the story and then uh, the, 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 the part within that story that I'm to play. Those are the two elements that really are the deciding factor for me. Um, and I approach it the same. Uh, you know, it's another day in the office, albeit um, a surreal, fantastical office. Uh, but, you know, I never look at the pressure. Um, the pressure is within me to do the very best I can as an actor, but certainly not, you know, coming into something like Lost, um, which, again, I, I came into something that was already a success. Um, there wasn't any pressure. I, I, I just went in and, and, and played the character as best I could. And same with uh, Thor, again, which was already a success. Um, G.I. Joe, um, Born Identity. Any, any of these movies, you just, you just get on with the job as an actor. Interesting. Okay, great. Um, so... Uh you know, it's funny. People probably know you most from these kind of big action roles that you're doing. But uh, right now, you're you're shooting a musical. You're you're shooting Annie. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> is it what, what's it been like shooting a musical? And are we going to see you singing and dancing on screen at a while? Um, it's a lot of fun. I have to admit, it's a it, you know, I've always liked to uh, have played kind of diverse characters and roles just because it keeps me. Um, fresh and, 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 and develop the craft. Um, but this, this is something, again, like Curse and Algrim, you've never seen me before play. I mean, it's very lighthearted. Um, he's, he's the humor kind of good guy. And um, there will be a song at the end. I think, I, I'm, I think I'm part of the uh, finale song, Tomorrow, Tomorrow. Um, but, you know, playing with little Annie Kruvanzani, who's a brilliant little actress, the Oscar-nominated actress from Beast of Some Wild, you know, just, just performing with children because they have a very fresh, untainted attitude toward their craft, it just makes you freer. And, and you enjoy it. I enjoy the process more. And then, you know, with opposite Jamie Foxx and um, uh, Cameron Diaz, it's just a barrel of laughs. It's hard for me to keep a straight face in this movie. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It's a, Will Gluck is a great director. Um, and, you know, doing the comedic uh, thing um, is, is new to me, and, but something I've always wanted to do. It's a, some, it's a side of me that I've always wanted to show. And, uh, you know, maybe this is the, the, the beginning of that. So I'm, I'm very happy to do it. And shooting in, in New York is one of my favorite places 
shoot. So I'm enjoying it, man. Awesome, awesome. Well, Adwali, uh, thank you so much for uh, talking with us on Talking Comics. Uh, Thor The Dark World opens on November 8th, and uh, we wish you luck in all your future endeavors. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy the movie. I think you will. All right, thank you very much, Adwali. Uh, you take care, my friend. Wasn't that interview wonderful? Delightful. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to listen to it again. I know. Um, no, but really, guys, they didn't listen to it. That's why we're being asses. But uh, <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Um, we're back now, and uh, we're going to hand it over to Bob, who's going to give us a little uh, short history lesson about uh, horror comics. Sure. Well, for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> why are you now talking like a game show host? You can I just talk know. like you. I thought it was. No, ah, it's a picture of a cat dressed as Robin. I'm hmm. looking at that's pretty scary. Yeah, that was talked about off off recording for no reason. Um, <laughs> very what do you nice. Mean for no reason, it's Halloween. No, I meant that should have been talked about on during the recording because it's comic book related and it's Halloween related. That's what I'm talking about, Stephanie. Jeez. Oh. Stephanie dressed her cat up like Robin. All right. I did. <laughs> long long story, long story short. Short short story long now yeah, coming. Yeah. There were some horror comics before there or there. Were tales of terror within books through the, the 40s and whatever. It really had its biggest expression uh, with EC Comics, which was at that point entertaining comics, but before that had been educational comics. Mm. And that was run by Max Gaines, who had run All-American Comics, which was the home of Wonder Woman, Hawkman, Green Lantern, Starman. They, he actually sold that all to DC. Mm. They were publishing the books, but they didn't own those characters. And he moved off to do educational books, picture stories from the Bible, and funny animal tales. And he died in a boating accident, and his son Bill Gaines decided, no, the hell with that. I'm making horror books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so turned books that were gunfighter books and Moon Girl and all sorts of things into Tales from the Crypt, The Vault of Horror, The Haunt of Fear, Crime Suspense, Shock Suspense, and did all these bizarre, wacky tales of revenge, bad people doing Worst things to each other, cheating husbands and wives, monsters, werewolves, vampires, with the, one of the greatest collections of artists under any one roof ever, Wally Wood, Jack Davis, Reed Crandall, Frank Frazetta, Johnny Craig. Bill Gaines described his stories. They're very much O. Henry Rod Serling endings. It would be going one way and then another. As you, know, you sharpen the pencils, the pencils sharpen your head. In essence, if you did something, you know, if you were a, there's a baseball player, for instance, he, we're in the World Series, now baseball player has a rival on the other team, he poisons his baseball spikes, slides into the guy and kills him. <laughs> his teammates take their revenge by kidnapping him from his hotel, dragging him out to the stadium, they dismember him, and play a game of baseball with the parts. That's awesome. They use the arms and legs as bats. His heart is the rosin bag. His intestines are the baselines, and his head's the baseball. <laughs> Sounds that, amazing. That's that's a typical EC story. It, they ran about five years before they ran into trouble with Dr. Wortham and Congress and all the rest of it and ended up 
being run out of business by the comics code that Bill Gaines actually helped to start. Because the first thing they did when he had his back turned was ban the words terror, horror, and weird from the covers of comic books and didn't allow werewolves, zombies, vampires, and horror books. And that didn't change until the 70s. Oh, wow. All went down the drain. And it all changed. Uh, Marvel began with Morbius the Living Vampire and got away with it. It was in the wake of the Spider-Man drug issues. Mm Mm-hmm. And that then became, they did Werewolf by Night, Dracula, Ghost Rider, The Son of Satan. DC brought House of Mystery back as more of a horror book, introduced the Swamp Thing over there. Mm-hmm. And those horror books, a lot of people think that's what finally pushed Marvel past DC. They were selling to a different audience all of a sudden, beyond their superhero books. Mm-hmm. The people who were going to monster movies and whatever now are reading comics. And then that translated, those EC comics came back around, there was a reprint hardcover with i think it was 20 tales of terror from uh, the the classic era and then there were two ec movies there's a tales from the crypt mm-hmm. and long before there was a television show that actually had joan collins being chased around by a demented santa claus <laughs> uh and a vault of horror and then they did a ton of those anthology movies in that period uh, even though they weren't ec they got robert block to do a couple asylum the house that dripped blood on and on and on and we're now to the TV show. There were a couple of movies, one with Dennis Miller, right? Yeah, there were. Oddly yeah. enough. Tales from the Crypt got, it got so big that they, they, had, they had movies that they kind of oh, branded God. with their name. Yeah. Bordello of Blood. Bordello yes. of Blood, yeah. Demon Knight. Demon Knight. I loved Demon Knight. Yeah. Demon Knight was more traditional kind of uh, Tales from the Crypt because it was an anthology, right? Yeah. With like a wraparound story of mm-hmm. them trying to get into that house or whatever. But there was several stories in that the, one. Bordello of Blood is, Yep. Bordello of Blood is just one horrible story. It was a horrible movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Demon yeah. Knight was actually fun. Yeah. Absolutely. That's too bad. There should be more anthology movies. Though, actually, we just got news there is another one coming. Yeah, yeah, that's really awesome. I mean, that got announced yesterday, <clears throat> last night at a screening. Uh, there's going to be a Michael Doherty, the director and writer. Ah, uh, Trick be or a, Treat 2. Trick or Treat yeah. 2 yeah. Is, is coming out. Um, he hasn't written the script yet, but you know, he said the, it was always his hope that they would do more. And um, obviously, the first the trouble the first movie had kind of put a kibosh on that because they, they didn't know if it was ever going to come out. But... Uh, it came out, and it's since it's hit DVD and Blu-ray, it's been a huge success. You know, uh, the, I've heard more and more people on on websites and podcasts and all other places when they talk about movies they watch every Halloween. They talk about you know Trick or Treat, and that's one of those movies for me too. I mean, I th- it's just a fantastic anthology horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't seen it, and it, and it actually started life when he he wrote it as a comic book, and you'll see you see those moments. Um, in in the movie there, in, the, in between things, you know, they the, they are done in comic book panels, and he initially had conceived it as that, and then turned it into a movie script. So it's a very EC sort of story, right? Particularly, I don't want to spoil this for people. Because mm. Not everyone's seen this. Yeah. Everyone's catching up to this mm. one, but the Anna Paquin story right. is really torn from the pages of an old EC book. That yeah. is the the reversal there mm-hmm. is just amazing. Yeah. So what happened to EC though? What basically happened to EC was if you weren't allowed to tell horror stories, right. he ended up with books he couldn't write, couldn't mm-hmm. sell. If you didn't have the code on them, newsstands wouldn't stock the books. Mm-hmm. He then decided to back away from that aspect of horror, lightened it up, softened mm-hmm. it up, then tried just suspense, did books about piracy, mm-hmm. psychoanalysis, and they were still ECs. They got sent back to him, unopened. Oh, wow. 
So what he did instead was he had one saving grace. He had a comic book called Mad. Oh. Hmm. That he realized he wasn't going to be able to keep going either as a comic book in, in that same way. He made it into a magazine that wouldn't have to have the comics code and mm-hmm. made himself into a multimillionaire. Oh, wow. So that's interesting. So he had a happy ending. Bill Gaines had a very happy ending, lived mm-hmm. a long and happy life with the most influential satire magazine of all time. Right. That at one point was selling two million copies a month. Wow. I used to buy Mad Magazine. Uh, everyone yeah, me too. did. Yeah, all yeah. the time. Yeah. All the time. The All the um, Jaffe stuff and... Mm-hmm. Spy versus spy. Always, oh, yeah. that was the first thing yeah. that I did was thumb through it and look for the spy versus spy. Yeah. Did you fold in the fold-ins all the time? Of course. All the yeah. time. So there are no mint copies of Mad Magazine no. ever. No. And I still have tons and tons and tons and tons of my old Mad Magazines. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. So that's interesting. That that's where he ended up. Um, when they lifted those restrictions, you know, and stuff like that, was it because he was so successful with that that he didn't decide not to kind of re you know, br- bring back the EC horror stuff? Because he could have, right, at a certain point. He could have, but at that point, he was a very successful older businessman. Mm-hmm. He had other interests, and his books ended up reprinted mm-hmm. a lot of times. They're actually reprints coming out now. Yeah. There's one today, as a matter of fact. Yeah. It's still through the Russ Cochran Library. They've been out as single books in the early 70s, mm-hmm. then as giant black-and-white hardcovers, which is... As great as the color was, and it was Marie Severin who did the colors back on those EC, seeing that art in black and white, seeing Graham Ingalls line work in black and white in, in an oversized book, the hardcovers are huge. Mm-hmm, yeah. I'm not sure what the size of is they are now. I've but seen them yeah, in the stores, yeah. They're pretty amazing. Yeah. And at that point, in the you know, Marvel had gone horror in the... Martin Goodman, who ran Marvel, Stan's uncle... Whatever anybody else did, he did. Mm-hmm. So there were Atlas. He was Atlas in the fifties. They had Atlas comics, mm-hmm. and they did vampires and werewolves. And some of it was okay. Paul Ryman, a few other things. By the time it got to the late fifties, they were doing the giant monster books that would eventually lead to the real Marvel. But it mm-hmm. was Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby drawing giant monsters stepping on stuff. Mm-hmm. I am Gloom, the monster from the deep, and <laughs> you know, six-page stories of talking tr- Groot. It was originally in one of those stories. Oh wow, hmm. interesting. There's a big talking tree. There's yeah. Serpo, the monster that crushed the earth, and <laughs> globs and cyclopses and all sorts mm-hmm. of other crap. But what really happened with EC is there was a successor, and that's Warren, who mm-hmm. did Creepy and Eerie. Okay. And Vampirella. Okay. And they Warren did Famous Monsters, a Filmland magazine, the movie magazine, mm-hmm. and then branched into these great black and white stories with a lot of the EC people, Reed Crandall and so on. Bernie Wrightson started mm-hmm. over there. There was no reason for EC to come back, even if he had felt like it. Mm-hmm. He sort of had been there and done that and was right. now off you know, on vacations every year with the whole staff of Mad Magazine to foreign countries eating gourmet food and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Bill Gaines is a crazy man. Yeah. Um, so we, we talked, you talked a little, you mentioned the Marvel resurgence of the horror stuff. Um, and we, I mentioned before about the Daredevil issue that had come out with those mm-hmm. characters. Is that when the era when those characters became a thing? Across the board, right there. On that cover, you have Jack Russell, the werewolf by night, mm-hmm. Simon Garth, the living zombie, uh, the living, the living mummy, Zatanna, who is the daughter of Satan. Mm-hmm. So she was in a, actually, the, the zombie and the daughter of Satan were in black and white magazines. Marvel mm-hmm. had a couple of magazines as well. I'm, sh- I'm shocked they didn't get Dracula into there. Yeah, well, it's not over yet. 
Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> They're going to be in the yeah. next issue as well. So Because Marvel also, in that period, with the restrictions lifted, went to black and white sort of adult magazines. Mm. Savage Tales, where you first saw uh, Red Sonja and Conan and those mm. kind of characters, and the Swamp uh, Man-Thing. I'm sorry, I always mix up the things. Mm. Uh, Man-Thing actually and Swamp-Thing appear within about a month of each other Oh wow, it's crazy It's another one of those X-Men Doom Patrol things And they're both based off on a character from Hillman Publications called The Heap Hmm. Which is useless to everyone, but it was The Heap (laughs) It was formed out of garbage in a swamp You know what I'm getting? I'm getting a visual of that that pile of leaves and compost that sits in the Fraggle Rock backyard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, there was actually a, a mad magazine story where they did the heap mm-hmm. as a, as a joke. It was a guy in a, the, I'm going to get this one. It's the Oki Finoki Finoki swamp. They had an extra Finoki <laughs> and his shack is held up by a broomstick or something. And it just is that it's a pile of garbage in the corner that turns into a monster that wants a bride made for itself. Because hmm. we are a monster. Naturally. <laughs> Why not? You're not going to have a bride. He's lonely. <laughs> um, so uh, I wrote on Twitter that Bob was schooling us on horror comics. Oh. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> now, there's a, now there's a question. Yeah. At Curse7781 says, what's Bob's favorite artist that has been known for the horror genre? Um, and what was the first horror comic he ever read? It would probably... The first one's probably one of those... Terrible Kirby monsters. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not terrible. They're 50s giant monster movies. Just they get very silly very quickly. Right. Though, actually, now that I say that, the first one might have been a Gorgo comic by Steve Ditko hmm. based on the old monster movie, which I would have then picked up having seen that movie as a five-year-old. <laughs> as to favorite... It's hard to pick against Bernie Wrightson, who did an amazing Frankenstein Gene Colan's Dracula for Marvel is just absolutely chilling. If no one's, if, mm. please, you know they have uh, archives and essentials on those. But Graham Ingalls or Jack Davis from EC, Graham Ghastly Ingalls, who ended up going insane apparently according to some stories and literally living in that shack in a swamp in Florida somewhere. All his it was. All very fine art, very minuscule little pencil lines and whatever. And every one of his characters, in a moment of tension, their mouth would open slightly and be the line of spittle between the teeth. (laughs) Graham Ingalls drew, in the actual definition of the word grotesque, which is that it's both horrible and beautiful at the same time, Mm -hmm. that's Graham Ingalls. So I'll I'll go with ghastly Graham Ingalls. Hmm. Awesome. What is it, what kind of horror is your favorite? Like what, what draws you do you want to be scary or do you more like the monster stuff what is it for you i'm everything but torture porn okay (laughs) i cannot deal with hostile and saw Mm -hmm. and those sort of things i do like supernatural horror dracula werewolves all that sort of stuff but psychological terror or something like psycho works for me too Mm -hmm. don't i have no qualms about watching all sorts of giant monster movies whether it's giant bugs or giant people or little tiny people or Giant bunny rabbits, as in the case of Night of the Lepus, which is the most ludicrous <laughs> giant monster movie ever made, but is a lot of fun. That's highly recommended to watch during Easter, which I always find. But I, I also tend to watch I, I tend to watch Dracula during Easter, particularly if I'm playing it in the store, just to annoy people because they'll say, "Well, why are you watching Dracula during Easter?" 
Well, he rises from the dead, too, is my stock ah, answer. I love it. Burn. Burn. God. <laughs> this won't surprise anyone who's listening to the show, who's a constant listener to the show, but Bob has a very particular like schedule of watching movies during the year. Yes. There's always, he always like, well, it's, you know, it's Arbor Day, so I've been watching this movie. Yeah, I've been watching From Hell It Came, which is about the, the giant talking tree See? in the there South you Sea Islands. <laughs> you, you watch that. You thought I was kidding. I was not kidding. No, there's a, there's a reason for things. Now, mm. Tonight, I will probably go home. Uh, it's the 75th anniversary today, October 30th. <laughs> Of Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast at mm. Panicked America. Nice. Mm. So I will probably put on War of the Worlds. There you go. There you go. Um, so I asked Bob, obviously, what kind of horror he loved and wh- what drew him to it. But Stephanie, what about you? Do You you actually weren't here last year when we did our horror podcast. Um, so what, what about horror do you like? Do you like horror? And what type of scary movie is your favorite or scary story? Um, for me, I mean, I'm a big wimp. Growing up, um, I wasn't allowed to really watch horror movies, so I'm one of those people that is still completely sensitized. I have not been desensitized. Um, like, they freak me out. And, like, people are like, you just know, you have to tell yourself that it's fiction and, you know, that it's not real. But I can't do that. Like, I don't have that disconnect from it. It freaks me out. Everything freaks me out. I cover my eyes and I plug my ears while I watch scary movies. That's I can't good, watch though. Them in, I can't watch them in theaters. Like, I need to have a pillow that I can peek out from. <laughs> um, but I do like horror movies, um, but they need to be well done. Kind of like what Bob said. I don't like torture porn kind of stuff. Like, I don't like things that, and I know this word, I use it so often. I don't like unnecessary scares. I like things that, um, like... Okay, this is a really odd comparison, but like musicals, you know, there's songs. I love musicals that, you know, the songs are there and they move along the plot and they're not just put in there for the sake of putting a song in there. Mm -hmm. And like horror is the same way. Like I like horror movies where the scariness progresses the plot like it's part of the story and not just there to scare the ever living shit out of you. Mm -hmm. Um. I realize there's, you know, people who enjoy that stuff, and that's fine. I'm just not one of those people. Um, but for me, you know, um, I remember, like, watching The Sixth Sense as a kid, and my mom wanted to see it, and she took me to see it in theaters because I happened to be with her, but she wouldn't let me watch any of the scary parts, so she just covered my eyes for me. <laughs> um, and, you know, there, even, like, The Nightmare Before Christmas, I didn't even see until, like, I was in college. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> I know, but, like, my parents were like, nope. Um, but for me, like, I love The Descent. Mm-hmm. Love that movie. One of my favorites, um, too. Yeah. 28 Days Later. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other horror movies. Is Dead that the one with Sandra Snow. Bullock? Yeah. <laughs> Dead Snow is amazing. Dead oh, Snow the, was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, they have to be fun and not fun, but like Dead Snow is fun. Mm-hmm. It's silly and stupid and fun, but it's awesome. Um, and you know, like I'm trying to think of more, there's way more like horror movies that I like. Mm. Um, but it's kind of hard when you're just, you know, I- I'm working my way through all of the Al- Alfred Hitchcock movies as well. Oh, cool. Um, I've never really, I've never seen psycho. <sighs> like I know. So I'm re I like, I'm living these movies, like these classics for the first time. And I try and watch them 
um, I watch as many as I can in October and then I wait until, you know, like the next October and I've been watching more. I only got through two last year though. I watched the birds and Marnie, but Marnie is very psychological. It is terrifying, uh, but a very, very deep <laughs> picture. I loved the birds though. Um, oh, yeah. my friend a couple of years ago went as Tippi Hedren, um, but like she had the crows on her shoulder and she was all like pecked to death. <laughs> Uh, do you know the story about what happened to her? Well, beyond what happened to her with, with Hitchcock, where Hitchcock made advances to her and she told him to get lost and he blacklisted her and she didn't work for years. Oh, wow. She was at yeah. Cinema Arts in Huntington. She told the story. Oh, wow. was, uh, she wasn't bitter about it because mm -hmm. she, I wouldn't have a career at all if he didn't get me started. Mm -hmm. But he was not the guy you think. But yeah. the scene where she gets in... Oh, spoiler alert for a 50-year-old movie. <laughs> uh, she, she goes into the room where all the birds are Mm -hmm. They shot that. That was one of the last things they shot. They had told her they were going to use puppets and mechanical birds, mm -hmm. and she showed up the last day, and no, they didn't. They mm -hmm. actually wired a real bird to her shoulder. Oh, my God. Oh my God. And it nearly pecked her eye out. She ended up so infected from the various wounds. She was sick for weeks. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was That's not a nice fella, no, needless God. to say. Whoa. <laughs> I've um, never heard that story before. That's madness. That's madness. Now, I saw Psycho in a movie before I ever saw it on television. It was, it was rarely on, mm -hmm. and it was re-released to theaters in 1969, so I was 13 years old, mm -hmm. and I said to my parents, well, i got to see this. It was in all the horror magazines. Mm -hmm. I want to see this you know, banned movie or whatever. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really banned, but you didn't yeah. see it. It certainly didn't re-release it. Right. And so we get to the theater. It was the Walt Whitman Mall Theater, and go, well, go ahead. Well, you're not coming in? No. Well, we've seen this already. They went in the mall shopping and dropped me <laughs> off in the theater. You know, I didn't know the surprise, and I'm not going to say what the surprise is for people who don't know, but it was pretty stunning at the time, and you found yourself rooting for a character you shouldn't have. Matter of fact, two of them, as a matter of fact. Well, three of them, now that I said, say that. <laughs> it's a really masterful piece of filmmaking. Do you... You've never seen Psycho, Stephanie. I'm, no. I mean, uh, most of them have been all spoiled for me by now. Like, I know. Okay. I, any classics, like, I, I feel like I know most of what happens, but, like, I still feel the need to eventually watch them myself. The list of shame. As, we did uh, that a few years hmm. ago. As someone who just watched Psycho all the way through for the first time, probably about two years ago, uh, it doesn't matter if you know the ending or not, oh, it is yeah, a no. masterpiece yeah. of horror yeah, filmmaking. Awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, again, like I don't read a lot of like horror, uh, comics or books. Um, but like, again, Joe Hill's probably like my go-to for that sort of genre in literature and comics. Um, and then, you know, like things like 30 days of night and some other stuff that's currently not coming to my mind. But <laughs> as far it, it's, Mostly movies that I kind of like, you know, like, yeah, um, I mean, The Exorcist, um, what else? Ginger Steps is a great Canadian film. Um, yeah, yeah. a lot oh, of fun. Yeah. The werewolf movie, yeah, yeah, They're okay. Awesome. I wasn't sure if it was like <laughs> something that you guys would have seen as well because I mean, I own all three. it was yeah, like big on the Canadian well. movie channels and I owned it, like, I owned the trilogy. There's a trilogy if you didn't know that, yeah, they just, Steven, yeah, we just said, yeah, Stephen Bob, they own all three. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, me too. <laughs> I love them. Small world. Yeah. I no. love them, and like, they're terrifying. But like, I love this aspect of them. Like, my favorite part about them is that like the werewolves 
are terrifying because you can see that they're humans. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that they're, it's not special effects. It's mm-hmm. somebody in a goddamn werewolf suit that's going to rip your face off. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. It's just awesome. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, like, I love, like, the Frighteners. I love the thing. Um, did I say let the right one in? No, no. The original version? Like, I love movies like that. Um, I like a lot of foreign horror movies, although not, like, the Japanese ones because those ones are creepy as fuck. <laughs> yes, they are. But, yeah. um, There's always Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, I love uh, Cabin in the mm. Woods. And um, I've never seen all of it, but I've seen, like, most of High Tension, which is... You've probably seen the good part of it, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the ending uh, is the ending horrible. Sucks. <laughs> oh, no. it's, the whole movie is fantastic. It's honestly, it's one of the most intense movies, and one of the better horror movies you'll probably ever watch until the last ten minutes of the movie, where oh, no. it just all falls apart. Nearly yeah. bought it again the other day. Yeah, it was like everybody bought it once and sold it off. It's the I guy know, directing <laughs> horns. I know someone who it's their favorite movie of all time. Oh, really? Ever? And I've tried to have a conversation with them about <laughs> it, and I you would have thought that like I had like shit on his mother's face. Yeah, like it was well, terrible. Yeah. To be fair, sometimes you're a little bit harsh. I remember telling you about bands I like, and you were like, "Nope, stupid." <laughs> that and is like, that is accurate. So, I was like, oh, well, I guess I won't talk to you about music anymore. You so. can talk to me about music. <laughs> Just don't talk to him about stupid music. Yeah, which is apparently everything I listen to. <laughs> have um, you heard the new Arcade Fire album? I have not yet, no. It is phenomenal. Oh, well, I'm glad good. we have that in common. Oh, it's amazing. Um, it's amazing. But Steve, so good. same question to you, though, about horror. What kind of horror do you like? <laughs> and uh, what we... <laughs> I fucking hate everything. <laughs> and what... Uh, <laughs> Just Everything me. that's your favorite yeah. it's disgusts me. Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of horror do you like and uh, what kind of movies? Well, to, re- to recap really quick so people have background on me, I think I said some of this last year. Um, I grew up on horror movies. Mm-hmm. My very first movie ever in the theaters was A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, my father was babysitting my sister and I. My mom was away. And we had a friend who owned a movie theater so we would constantly get into movies for free. We would always forever go to the drive-in. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw so many movies at the drive-in. Some of my best childhood memories uh, are at the movies. But uh, unlike Steph, I I never ever... My sister had limits on what she was able to watch and, and not watch. Um, I never had a single restriction ever on music or movies at all. Mm-hmm. Um I guess my my dad's mentality was a that I could handle it and b that I uh, I, I knew that it was Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, there was even a time when my my grandfather dressed up in uh, at three o'clock in the morning, hid inside the shower stall of their bathroom when my cousins and myself were sleeping at their place around Christmas. My cousin Danny got up in the middle of the night to go and take a leak and. The, the way that it's set up is the shower is right next to the toilet. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather actually reached out from, he had been waiting there and he grabbed Danny by the shoulder. Nice. He ran out with his pants down through the house, <laughs> screaming his ever-loving face off. All my cousins wake up. Mm-hmm. They're cowering in the corner. I actually got up, walked over to him and pulled the, uh, my grandmother's pantyhose uh, over his head. And I walked <laughs> up to him and I, and I pulled him off and I was like, 
pop. Come on. <laughs> and he's just like, I knew you wouldn't be scared. <laughs> but anyway, uh, what do I love horror movie wise? Um, in the Mouth of Madness uh, is one of my all-time nice favorite movies. Oh, it's so it's so good. I saw that with my mom in the theaters, and she just she loved it. It's I love underappreciated that. Movie, oh God, it's so good. Um, oh my God, let's see. Uh, I like a lot of uh, I guess like Japanese and um, uh, Asian horror films. Uh, one of them that comes to mind is uh, The Tale of Two Sisters. They remade that, I believe it was called The Uninvited, but it was it was garbage. Uh, if you want to see the good version, it's called The Tale of Two Sisters. Very, very, I think it's a Korean horror film. Anyway, um, that, uh, there's an old, old movie. It's a Criterion film called Haosu that is just absolutely bizarre. That movie is so crazy. It's yeah. so weird. Is that the one with weird. the crazy cat on the cover? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Oh, my friend drew that in my cat sketchbook. <laughs> I love it. Um, the Shining is one of my all-time favorites. Mm. Absolutely love that. Pet Cemetery. I've never seen that either. Oh, the Shining, really? Oh, Shining's yeah. really good. Interesting. Uh, Pet Cemetery always gets me. There's a couple of key scenes in that movie that just unnerve me. Uh, in more recent times, though, uh, I it's weird. I I've really kind of strayed from my horror roots in the past years. I've become a little bit of a of a wuss. <laughs> that I don't have a lot. Of, I don't have people to watch movies with me very often anymore. And I like to watch movies with people. I don't like watching movies by myself. Um, I tend to when I watch movies alone. I tend to watch movies that I'm, I'm torturing myself. Like last night, I watched Grown Ups Two. Why? Because the movie that I wanted to watch. It wasn't working. The file wasn't working. And it was the only other thing that I had that was right there. And I downloaded it for a friend. And I was like, I'll just throw it on. And it was like watching the slowest, most elaborate train wreck. That I, it was it was fucking awful. You have hundreds of movies at home. Why yeah. the hell would you I know, sit around I to know, watch that? I know, I know, I know. Look. I have complain about that though. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> like a it's like a sore tooth that you just you can't stop tonguing it and you're like, ah it I I put myself through things sometimes to remind myself of the quality that that, that is available. <laughs> All right. so, so back to horror. Back to horror movies. Um, Insidious actually. Mm, Insidious is awesome. Insidious really, 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 really messed me up <laughs> bad. Um, my favorite kind of horror movies are hauntings. Mm. I, I remember. Oh, sorry. No, okay. There's like a little bit of leg. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but. Insidious. I remember when that came out and I was living in Prince Edward Island and Steve and I had been talking like every day, like all the time. And I, I was going to buy it. I was like, oh, I'm God, I'm really excited. I'm going to watch Insidious. And he's like, Steve like knew about like my horror stuff. And he's like, no, no, <laughs> like you won't be able to watch it. He's like, it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. I love horror movies. And I was like, yeah. oh, and now I can't watch Insidious because... <laughs> You should watch Insidious. Um, it's very scary. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really long story, but I actually did live in a haunted house for a number of years, and uh, Insidious just it struck a, it struck a chord, and it, it basically resurfaced a whole bunch of memories for me that it, you know it's been several years and they, they kind of went away. That movie in particular brought it all back, and at the time it was I think it was during the summer that I, I actually watched it with. Karen, mm-hmm. she was she was so excited that I hadn't seen it <laughs> that she specifically came over to watch my reactions. Mm-hmm. She'd already seen the movie yeah. and she's like, "You're gonna freak out over this movie, and I want to <laughs> be there to look at your face." And I'm like, "All right, come on over." And she was so right. 
And at the time that we were watching it, uh, I ghetto rigged my living room to have my big Batman sheet was Mm -hmm. dividing the living room and the dining room to Mm -hmm. keep the air conditioning in. Mm -hmm. And for the next four days after watching that movie, every time that I had to go to use the bathroom or go to the kitchen or one of the other rooms of my house, I'd have to squish the sheet aside to go to the other half of the house. And for four days... I would like creep up to the sheet and I would almost like poke at it a little bit <laughs> and then just like in one quick motion, just like whoosh and like go, you know, <laughs> jump behind it, fearing that there would be something on the other side. Mm-hmm. I have not felt that probably since I was like a, a early, early teens, mm-hmm. adolescent age of that fear, that lasting fear from a movie. Yeah. Um, I have not seen Sinister. I have not seen it's The Conjuring. I, I just, I've, fallen so far behind in the realm of horror that i'm actually kind of ashamed of it a little bit um you see the new evil dead i liked it a lot yeah Ooh, i, I did too. That too yeah i did I, I saw that and uh i liked it a lot cabin of the woods was a lot of fun even though i mean it was it had horror elements mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more sci-fi as it turns out than horror but still excellent i feel like the first half is very much like um evil dead and then yeah, yeah and then it takes a turn right yeah but um Oops, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, no, I just, I, I mean, if you ask me about movies, I could rattle off. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and, and mm-hmm. make a laundry list of movies. I mean, maybe I could even do like a top whatever list and throw it up. So like Bob has next In to front me. of him, yeah. Yeah. The top 50. <laughs> top yeah, 50, extras. there you go. Oh, my God. What's for the well, stores? Extras. Um, like, seven to go ahead. Was there anything that gave you guys nightmares? Like, this isn't even from a horror movie, but like Gamoric, who's also the nothing in the never ending story. Oh. That thing gave <laughs> yeah. me nightmares. Okay, like, Big I was so scared of the dark because, like, I would go to bed and I would picture its glowing eyes, like, <laughs> in the corner of my room or something. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you've seen the never ending story, there's this one scene where Treyu is running through um the swamp and he's falcor's trying to get to him before the nothing and he's like right on his heels and Mm -hmm. like forever after that i had this panic in my old house like if i turned off the light and didn't run up the stairs fast enough he would like get me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh my god so terrifying and like (laughs) recently like a few years ago i was like I'm going to watch this. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. This thing isn't going to be scary. Put it on. I'm like, nope, terrifying. Um, <laughs> growing up, the Skeksis from um, The Dark Crystal, mm. they scared the shit out of me. Uh, that one that melts in the beginning mm. after he gets defeated or the, the sunstone, like, you know, annihilates him. That did it. And, uh, I, oh, God. Kids movies used to be scary. They used to put oh scary mm-hmm. things in kids movies. Secret of Nim. Yeah. I yeah. feel like they don't do that as much anymore. They don't do it at Wizard all of Oz, right? Wizard of Oz, right? Flying monkeys my and mom. the witches. Return and... to Oz was also oh God, amazing. Oh my God, Return to Oz, like, I was not sober a couple years ago and watched that at a Christmas party for some reason and, like, haunted my nightmares. It's one of my, it's actually been my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, my mom hates The Wizard of Oz because she's like, it always scared me when I was a kid. She's like, I still hate it. She's the same thing with, with uh, Alice in Wonderland. She just doesn't oh, like it. Could be creepy. Yeah. Um, think, so, sorry, Stephanie, oh, go ahead. Coraline's like the closest thing that's come to like it's a true. dark kids movie in a very long time. It's true. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, for me, you know, I like all kinds of horror. You know, it's funny when, you know, Seven, you talk about like hiding behind like a pillow or like that. I wish I was like that more watching horror movies because I've seen so many of them. A lot of times I'm just like, okay, I know what's going to happen and eh, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I mean, that that there's every once in a while where that's not the case, like Insidious or The Descent, you mm-hmm. know, or The Ring the first time I saw it, like stuff like that, where it, it still hits me. Um, uh, you know, I love the ones that try to scare me, and I, and I think that they're all across the board. Like I, all those movies I mentioned tend, are very different in, in the kind of movies they are. Uh, I think, like Steve said, I love haunted house movies. I think they those are generally generally tend to be a little bit more classic and a little more psychological. So I think I respond to those a little bit more. Um, but I also I also love watching stupid slasher movies too. You know, I I get a kick out of them. I don't I don't get scared by them. But mm. I like watching them. You know, I like to see how inventive they can get with the way they have the killers make the the kills. Have you seen Hatchet? Yeah, yeah. Hatchet is awesome. Okay. Yeah, Hatchet is. Uh, yeah, um, Hatchet movie came out I think like five or six years ago. There's three of them now. There's three of them now. Um, Adam Green, I believe his name is the director mm. of that movie. Um, it's a classic, like like slasher movie. It's in a back swamp in some southern, you know, southern state. And yeah, it's totally by the book, but it yeah. the, the kills are memorable a, and a awesome. Belt, a belt sander. Yeah. Oh, the the yeah. the super long chainsaw mm. that he he brings up uh, from underneath two dudes. Yeah. So I'm like ah. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, and it has that very '80s vibe to mm. that that feel to it. And to me, it's much better than the remakes of the '80s movies that they. Oh done. yeah, absolutely. Because at least it's something fresh to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he made another movie that I love that movie Frozen that came out a, a few years ago, mm-hmm. which is the people stuck oh, on. Oh, I never had the balls to the, watch the ski that. lift. Um, it's got it's different. You know, it's no, nothing supernatural at all. It's just it it more is that vibe of like something like that movie Open Water that came out a few years before that, like that very kind mm-hmm. of one place. But but he does a really good <laughs> job of of keeping the movie dynamic with the way he like, uses the camera. I feel like um. Uh, frozen and open water are very much like gravity. Yeah, uh, I mean, the new you, but, movie. Like yeah. it's just like that thriller. Like, like there's something freaky as fuck yeah. that you didn't think was <laughs> freaky as fuck, and now it's like extra freaky as fuck. I'm just gonna keep on saying that a lot. <laughs> I apologize, but like you know, like water, yay, no. <laughs> but space, in the, yeah. oh, no, yeah. Um, space terrifies me anyway, so that would uh, already scary. How about Alien and Aliens? Um, Alien is definitely a horror movie. Aliens is an action movie. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it's less about the yeah. scares and more about the the shooting and, and the action. And it's equ- I think it's equally as good. It's just a different yeah. a different movie completely. A- Alien got me going. Yeah, I Alien's was scary. Twenty three when I saw that in the theater. Yeah, and that was still pretty scary. Around every corner was something you couldn't yeah. anticipate. I mean, it, it's as much a haunted house movie as it is oh, yeah. anything else you know it's a, people stuck in one place and basically their environment is against them even though it's it's a creature but so with the guy who used to own the store i worked in mm-hmm. and my friend who still runs my local comic store we had a six-hour argument over what is alien <laughs> is it science fiction or horror it's both. and we came down that it's it's hard it's director's intent is to horrify yeah and it, it happens to be set in space well that makes it science fiction Okay, does that make Blazing Saddles a Western? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. So we said, here's, here's how you split it. If, instead of a space salvage ship, mm-hmm. it's a cruise liner, yeah. and it goes to an island, and a monster gets on the ship and chases everyone around the hallways and kills them, mm-hmm. it's a horror movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it's in space is just geography. Right. Well, that's one of the things about horror, right, is that it, 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 it's, it, it has to be scary or at least attempt to, like, titillate you in that that certain mm-hmm. way um but it doesn't have the re- it doesn't have a restriction 
on on its setting, on its place, right. on its tone. You know, all of these things. There can be action horror. There can be comedy horror. There can be sci-fi horror. You know, there there's monster horror. There's psychological horror. You know, there's every there's torture porn. Yep. There's slash what all these different genres that fit into this one thing, which makes I think an in- interesting thing. And the funny thing to me about horror movies is that people tend to people who don't like horror movies or people who sort of like horror movies but don't really self-identify that way will tend to be like, oh, no, 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 that's not a horror movie. That's a thriller. Because to them that means, no, that's not a bad movie. That's a good movie. You know what I mean? And and just because it's a good horror movie doesn't mean it gets put in a different genre, you know, than than the horror aspect to it. I I would disagree with that because, like, to me, um, a horror movie is – for the scares, whereas a thriller keeps you on the edge of your seat. Um, I, I guess, but I mean, there, there are movies that are thrillers. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying every movie that's a thriller is a horror movie, but I, I think people tend to uh, take movies that are horror movies uh, and, you know, transfer them somewhere else. It makes know? them feel better about what they like. Psycho's a horror movie. Yeah. No matter what you want to say about yeah. it, it's a horror movie. The novel is written by Robert Block, mm. who was one of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, acolyte. Yeah, it's a horror book and yeah. it's a horror movie. Mm-hmm. The, the, one, the only one that seems to escape that is The Exorcist because you can't. There, you, there's no way you can think your no. way out of that being a horror movie. Um, and I do agree with you, something. I mean, a horror movie is intended to scare, um, but thrills and scares often go hand in hand. What, do you remember the AFI list a few years ago? The, the, yeah, the thriller list. Yeah, stop. Yeah. They, they were. They tried the same thing. It was the AFI. So yeah. the, the way they could mix in monster movies, mm-hmm. Jaws, which is really it's a giant monster yeah. movie from the fifties, yeah. but it's a shark that's way too big instead right. of a crab mm-hmm. or whatever. I'm sorry. Throw Jaws, Indiana Jones, and To Kill a Mockingbird onto the same <laughs> list is ludicrous. Yeah. But they did it anyway because well, it was thrilling. Yeah. Oh gee, so is flying down to Rio with the Staring Rogers. If you happen to like <laughs> musicals, but it doesn't make it a thriller. Yeah. Yeah, Jaws is one of those movies that people won't will never admit that it's a horror no. movie, but it is totally is a horror movie. It's number nine, it's about it's a right giant, on my list. It's about a giant shark that that rips people open. Kept my parents out of the water for years. Oh yeah, that so. scared. When I was a kid, forget about it. Scared the <laughs> shit out of me when I was a kid. All I can think about now is Sharknado and Ghost Shark. <laughs> I was scared to go in the pool, go in the yes. pool and the tub when I was when after I saw Jaws as a kid. <laughs> my mom was like, "There's no shark in there." <laughs> I was like, what if it comes out of the drain? Like, That's <laughs> yeah. impossible. I used to think that, like, the pond I learned how to swim in, like, you know, there was going to be mm. a shark in it that would eat me. <laughs> but not because of Jaws, just because I was irrational. Yeah. And when I was a kid, too, it was often the things I hadn't seen and only had heard about that scared me more than anything in the entire world. Like, I was terrified of Candyman. Yep. The- Say his name. I had never seen it. I had just heard about it, and the picture it painted in my head of of what it was scared the shit out of me. When I eventually watched it, I was like, "This movie is not scary. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's kind of bad." But I, but it, in my head, and before I had seen, ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street, just knowing who Freddy Krueger was and like what his deal was, scared I, the crap out of me that, as a kid. That first one is still great. It's really scary. Still, anyway, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Say, so Pat Brennan um, on t- Twitter said that his favorite horror movie is Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I still to this day, uh, every now and again, at least two or three times a year, I still have dreams. I wouldn't call them nightmares, but I do have dreams involving um, all of the, excuse me, like Freddy and Jason mm-hmm. and Michael Myers. Those three in particular. Um, make the rounds 
within my head when I'm sleeping at least two or three times a year without mm-hmm. fail. Um, they've been with me my whole life. Yeah. Could you mention Michael Myers? He's not made our list here to talk about. But yeah. There's the movie that started all those slasher pictures mm-hmm. that really got painted with the, the wrong brush. Uh, I, I know we've had this conversation yeah, yeah, after Roger Ebert yeah. died. He and Gene Siskel reviewed Halloween and thought it garbage mm-hmm. and went back and re-reviewed it and apologized. I actually have it on the Criterion Laserdisc of Halloween. As they described it, you know, we were so wrong because this is made by a guy who loves movies. Mm. This is a great piece of cinema. He is not responsible for all the excesses that came later, mm-hmm. all the crazy holiday movies, yeah. April Fool's Day and so <laughs> on and so forth that they made. This was just a really good piece of movie. It is still damn scary after all these years. Saw it last year, the day after the hurricane, in the theater. Mm-hmm. They brought it back for one night only. And at the local theater here, we drove up the road. It's, it's a big highway called Nichols Road mm-hmm. to the big 16-plex mm-hmm. airport-sized movie theater. <laughs> there were no lights in any neighborhood at all <laughs> except at the theater. <laughs> and went in, and we were sitting behind a group of teenage girls who had never seen the movie before. And it was like seeing it in 1978 all over again. <laughs> they were screaming and yelling and, and laughing yelling at her not to drop the knife mm. with a cuss word thrown yeah. in there. <laughs> it is just a really, really scary picture, and it is not about the body count. It is not about blood and gore. It's just pure terror. Yeah, yeah, not until it was remade by Rob Zombie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there, that series was in much trouble before the Rob Zombie ever got his hands on it. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> no. treat, motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. I, oh, I love Halloween. Um, and for me... Even though it has some of those sequels are pretty are pretty bad, um, to me it's the one that kind of had the the best like overall track record because I mm-hmm. think that I think that four and five are actually pretty good and I think six is pretty good as well. Um, seven is horrible, uh, but and H two O is great. really good. It's, a, it's a really good horror movie. So that that character always stood the test of time to me obviously there's some ridiculousness in there and the kills get more and more intense but and that he can't ever be stopped exa- it uh, needs too much explanation exactly eventually. exactly but i think that series holds up very very well um funny thing you said about the, those people watching halloween for the first time that was the way i saw the exorcist when they re-released in the movie theater you know the version you've uh, never seen i had never seen the movie <gasps> so i went one day i was like i want to go see it i've never seen it and i went to the theater and i think i was 16 or 17 years old and it scared the shit out of me then, you know, watching it. Um, and there are those very few movies that make you feel unsafe while you're watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of those movies uh, for me. But Might still be the most profitable horror movie ever. It's, it's probably one of the, it's one of the it's, most profitable it's, movies of all time. It's yeah. ridiculous. No, adjusted for inflation. It's yeah. way up. The, there were lines around the block to see that. Yeah. Uh, L- Lauren Colleagues, one of our good friends of the show, um, she said that Nosferatu was one of her favorite horror movies. The, and the 22 one? The yeah, original? Uh, Salem's Lot. Oh, Salem's Lot That's, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The Haunting, she said, because of uh, Julie Harris. That's a great one. That's, that's way the up original on my one. list. That's the maybe the best haunted house movie ever. Uh, and The Shining still chills her. Uh, and Jake Tanner also said The Shining. Uh, what's more terrifying than the hallway scene with with the with the twins? The bare blowjob scene. <laughs> that, that that does <laughs> it, it for me. you up. Um, great story about Nosferatu. If we have a minute, uh, how long we is don't. that story, Bob? Real quick. <laughs> it was made in 1922. It is basically Dracula. Yeah. It is the novel of Dracula. Mm-hmm. They made the entire movie 
Bram Stoker's widow was alive, sued. Mm-hmm. Sued them. Mm. One. Yeah. Claimed every copy of the negative, every print, and burned them. Wow. They held one print back. It ended up in some warehouse somewhere and turned up years and years later. And since other prints have come, but she burned it. To her, they ripped off her husband's work, and she wanted no part of it. That's crazy. That's Mm. a crazy, crazy story. Um and uh, before we wrap this, this this horror conversation up, um, Lauren also wants to know, Bob, what's the scariest comic you've ever read? Scariest comic I've ever read? That's a really good question. <laughs> I would... I don't know if I even really have an answer. Wow. This is a first. This could be a first. <laughs> scariest... Well, it comes out of, out of complete left field. Mm. Hmm. Do you want to think on it while I do I the releases? I want to think about it. Yeah, do some releases. Let, okay. me, uh, let me ruminate. All right, guys. Let, um, let us know what you guys are doing for Halloween. Also, I want to see if you guys dress up any kind of comic book fashion. Uh, tweet at us or Facebook. Show us those pictures. We really, really want to see them. Um, obviously, I'm sure if you guys follow us or follow Steve, you saw his Joker costume from this yeah. past weekend. Um, maybe doing it again for the Halloween party we have this Saturday. Yeah, if I can get somebody to uh, help me with my stuff ahead of time, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta borrow a friend. Um, and uh, I'm gonna be the Punisher, so you'll see those pictures as well. Um, so let's talk about what's on the shelves uh, right now. From Action Lab, we have Skyward number four. Um, from Archie Comics, we've got Archie number six forty nine and Fox number one, which is uh, Mark Wade who's doing that book. Mm. Um, that's their Red Line, I believe, which is kind of their superhero line of, of comics. And there is a Fiona Staples variant. Oh, really? There you go. Uh, from Avatar Press, we have Cross Badlands number forty and Ferals number seventeen. Um, from Boom Studios, we've got Adventure Time two thousand thirteen Spooktacular number one. <laughs> uh, Clive Barker's Hellraiser Annual. Um, Clive Barker's Next Testament, number five. Um, and uh, Hero Bear and the Kid, 2013 Annual, number one. Uh, from Dark Horse, we've got Astounding Villain House, one shot. We've got um, Baltimore, The Plague Ships, number one, so at $1 book. Uh, Blood Brothers, number three of three. We've got Captain Midnight, number four. We've got um, Criminal Macabre, The Eyes of Frankenstein, number two. Um, EC Archives, t- uh, Tales from the Crypt, Volume 4, hardcover. Um, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven and the Red Death, uh, one shot, which is Richard Corbin again, the same one wow. who did the last one. Um, we've got um, Itty Bitty Hellboy, number three of five. We've got uh, King Conan in the Hour of the Dragon, number six. And uh, True Lies of the Fabulous Killjoys, number five. What? Um, from DC Comics, we have Action Comics Annual, number two. Aquaman Annual, number one. <clears throat> we've got Damien, Son of Batman, number one. Uh, we've got we've got uh, Forever Evil Argus, number one. Um, Green Lantern Annual, number two. Nightwing Annual, number one. Sandman Overture, number one. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, it's a very big week for uh, awesome uh, creator books. Uh, Smallville Season 11 Special, number three. A Swamp Thing Annual number two, Teen Titans Annual number two, and then there's two, um, sorry, there's a Vertigo Essentials V for Vendetta number one, which is a dollar. Um, from Dynamite Entertainment, we have Ash and the Army of Darkness number one. Um, we've got George R.R. R. Martin's A Game of Thrones number 17, Kevin Smith's The Bionic Man number 25, 
Mocking Dead number one, third printing. Uh, we've got um, Shadow Year One number six of ten, and we've got Warlord of Mars Deja Thoris number thirty-one. From IDW, we have Danger Girl the Chase number two, Dinosaurs Attack number four, G.I. Joe number nine, Godzilla Rulers of the Earth number five, Kiss Kids number three, My Little Pony 2013 Annual number one, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic number 12, Powerpuff Girls number two, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 27, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Micro Series number seven. Um, Transformers Prime, Beast Hunters number six, and Transformers... More than meets the eye? Robots in Disguise, number 22, uh, Wild Blue Yonder, number three. From Image Comics, we have Bushido, number five of five, the trade paperback of Dia de las Mortes. Um, Distant Soil, number 42, Five Ghosts, number six, Mara, the trade paperback, Mice Templar, number four, Mice Templar four, Legend, number eight, um, Prophet number 40, Saga number 15, yeah. Sex number 8, uh, Thought Bubble Anthology number 3, and Witchblade number 170. From Marvel Comics, we have Avengers number 22, Avengers AI number 5, Captain America Living Legend number 2 of 4, Cataclysm number 0.1, Deadpool Kills Deadpool number 4 of 4, Guardians of the Galaxy number 8, Infinity number 5 of 6, Kickass 3 number 4, um, Scarlet Spider number 23, Superior Spider-Man number 20, Superior Spider-Man Team-Up Special number 1, Thor vs. Thor The Crown of Fools number 1, which I'm guessing is probably another reprint. Um, we've got um, we, Ultimate Comics X-Men number 33, Uncanny X-Force number 13, uh, X-Men Battle of the Atom number 2, which is the final chapter. Um, from... Uh, Let's see here. We got oh, Valiant Exo. Oh no, that's again. That's a hardcover. Exo Manowar hardcover from Valiant, and from Zenoscope we have um, Grim Fairy Tales presents No Tomorrow number three. Grim Fairy Tales presents Realm Knights number three, and Hit List number two. And that's all the uh, books that are coming out this week. Mm-hmm. Sandman and Saga are out this week. That's pretty 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 big cred week. <laughs> in, in the release list there. Um, Bob, have you thought of a favorite horror book? Tower of Shadows, number one, 1969, Jim Steranko for Marvel. All right. Bob came through as we knew he would. Um, Next week, everybody's going to tell us that they read it. Yeah, I know. Oh, it was great. <laughs> um, so that's going to be it for the Talking Comics podcast uh, for this week. If you guys want to get in touch with us, it's at Talking Comics on Twitter. Um, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com is the email address, facebook.com slash talkingcomics. Um, and also, of course, go to talkingcomicbooks.com uh, for articles, columns, reviews, all of that great stuff. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve? Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Uh, Stephanie? Mine's at hello cookie. And Bob, your email address? Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And uh, before we... Uh, we move on um, and, and close out the show. Uh, Sleep Drifter on Twitter said he has no question for Bob, but he t- wants him, Bob to know he's one of his heroes. So there you go. Wow. There you well, go. That's very lovely. I told Thank you. you. You're my hero. <laughs>
You're everything I <laughs> wish I could be. All right, we're moment ruiners. It's all right. By we, I mean I. <laughs> um, so uh, that's going to be it for the Tonk Comics podcast for this week. Everybody have a happy and uh, safe Halloween. If you're going to a party or you're going out trick-or-treating, uh, just be safe and have a great time. It's one of my favorite times of the year. And uh, Don't steal candy from children. No, but I thought that goes without saying. <laughs> Not to steal candy from Check children. Your candy. Check your candy. Um, and if you want a PSA for that, just watch Trick or Treat and yeah, see what exactly. happens when you don't check your candy. Um, so that's going to close out our, our podcast for this week. For Steve, <laughs> Bob, Nevermore, and Stephanie. Bye. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.